Battle Line podcast for the new listeners. And every week there are new listeners because, you know, every week we're having on different exciting guests. I'm Ian Scotto. I'm Chris Paranto. And uh, yeah, every week on this podcast, we interview different different figures, either in the special operations community, sometimes in the military community, often combat veterans like Paul Braun. And uh, in the case of Paul Braun, also a guy in the law enforcement community. And I'm excited to talk to him. Yeah, he's he's been a he's been a good friend of mine for I'd say about three four years now, going three to four years. And and Paul up in St. Cloud, same kind of mindset as as a lot of guys. That maybe that's why we hang out together. <laughs> the same sort of mindset, but you know, family is extremely important to him. Um, he, he he you know he's went through his own things in service that he'll talk about on the show here. But uh, yeah, I, I think the biggest thing with Paul is that his his strength with his family, his, you know, his, his, his values are, are tremendous and it's good to have him on. And he's a tremendous instructor too. He, he's, he's helped out with battle line courses before uh, in Shreveport and, uh, and um, you know, hopefully him and I'll do some more preaching together. So like I said, we like to teach and I tell guys teach with other instructors, men and women um, learn from other instructors, not teach with other instructors, learn from other instructors. And he's another one that, yeah, Hey, doesn't need to be a battle line course. Go, go maximum defense Academy, go learn from Paul and, and you're going to get just as much, if not more, um, more tr- good, solid training, but then also the values that come with the training that are important. And I think sometimes we miss in the two a community. So tremendous guy, but we'll, you'll, you'll get to know him here on the show. Yeah, exactly. I could tell he's a very special guy just from my limited conversations with him. So I'm excited to talk more in depth with him today. Uh, before we do though, I actually just sent out some uh, Bubs Naturals uh, as a giveaway to some of our listeners. And the reason I do that is not only did I have extra stock of stuff and I just can't keep it here because I'm moving, but I believe in Bubs Naturals product so much truly that I know that these people are going to reorder when they they try it for the first time because everybody who has tried it has said, man, how did I live without this stuff prior? It's added so much value to their life especially for me. I mean, I love all their stuff, but especially for me, their collagen protein, which is great for recovery, hair, skin, and nails. And uh, that's that's just the the greatness of collagen. And it's just one ingredient. It's uh, raw cowhide ground up. Yeah. And yeah, you could put it in. Sometimes I just put it in hot water, but you could put it in coffee. You could put it in orange juice. You could put it in anything. And you're going to get those benefits, especially post-workout for me. Now there it's tremendous stuff. And you're seeing now, which is shocking, not shocking to me, but you'll see on commercials and things that, that now the now the 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 mainstream is starting to get into collagen. You'll see a, I think it was a Jennifer Aniston commercial where I do take collagen like what? We've been doing this for years. What are you talking well not for years, but, <laughs> but longer than that. I, I have technically I've been <laughs> you, doing it for years. You have, you have me. I think last year about a year now. I mean, but it's like, so obviously this stuff is good, but obviously I just tell you from experience of me taking it every day. I take two scoops a day. I like it in my coffee. Um, and then I'll do the uh, fountain of youth, which is amazing as well. And I'll mix that up in milk, but my wife is even, and she doesn't take supplements and Tanya started taking the fountain of youth. And now, uh, yeah, Sean, I need some more, man. Uh, she's, she's going <laughs> through it all. So, uh, it's tremendous stuff, guys. It does help uh, rebuild. It helps uh, that the MCT URL for me helps me on pre-workout. It gets you that energy going. It does. I, I it had that effect on me, which coconut oil, I think because I've also colitis, that's what the coconut oil that's mixed in with the, uh, you know, with the rest of the, the supplements that are in that MCT oil do. 
but uh, I, I do also take it after workouts too and mix it in with the with the collagen. So um, guys, give it a try if you're a, if you like to work out, if you're a lifter, big lifter, big runner, whatever, it's going to work for you and it's going to give you, you know, that rebuilding, building that protein and get, getting that protein and building those muscles back. But also the MCT oil and the uh, and the uh, Fountain of Youth are going to help you recover. And it has. It's helped me recover quicker and, and my joints feel better, too. And I'm 50, guys. I, I'm, I'm, I'm old as dirt. So uh, and I still can run six days a week now since I've been on the on the uh, on Bubs Naturals. And uh, that's that's not a pitch. That's that's the God honest truth. And, and uh, you know, I, I I love that stuff. It's tremendous. Yeah, you heard it from Sean Lake on the episode he was on. It's just great for joint recovery as well. And the mission itself, guys, every cell that they make, they donate back to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation. And if you don't know about Glenn, listen back to that episode. He was there in Benghazi, Navy SEAL and a true hero. And that's why Sean dedicated the brand to him. So check it out, bubsnaturals.com. Promo code BATTLELINE, and you get 20% off your order. That's one word, BATTLELINE, bubsnaturals.com. Go there now. Promo code BATTLELINE for 20% off, and the link is right there in the description. Let's go. From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Switch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dead for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The switch is on. Battle Line Podcast. Very excited, as we said, for this episode. Um, but you know what's interesting is I feel like there hasn't been a whole lot of news in terms of uh, what we do uh, recently. I mean, there's been the stuff out of Israel, of course, but I'm saying in terms of national security. Yeah. And I think the reason we didn't really cover Israel heavily is because everyone is covering it. I don't know what more we could say that hasn't already been said, you know, positive or, or negative. It's just yeah. it's covered everywhere. Um, but yesterday, the day before we were recording this, we heard about the major news of the assassination of Haiti's president and the shooting of his wife as well. And that those guys are really, I think it was, I have the news article here. I think it's four of the guys that were behind that, right? Were shot and killed. Um, if I have that correctly, um, I, I don't know. Yeah. The, all I know, yeah all four, I know, four yeah. suspects. Yeah. have been fatally shot by police and two others arrested in a reported hostage taking situation. Um, now, you obviously have more background in this type of thing than me. It's without saying, I mean, I have you know no military experience, <laughs> no, no special operations experience for the guys who, who don't know that, who are listening. But what I can say is this out of Haiti, which was interesting to me, is I don't know if you remember this. 
I remember every interview I've ever conducted. I really do. I, I can honestly say I have a good memory when it comes to that, even though it's been thousands of interviews at this point, literally. Um, I interviewed you a few years back on yeah, my previous yeah. podcast when we heard about two Navy SEALs and other guys who were um, who were basically doing contracting in Haiti and were arrested. Uh, those guys being Chris Osman and also um, who was Chris Heben, who changed his name to Chris McKinley. Um, but according to those guys, they said, hey, we were called here by the government to guard a bank. And then they were taken prisoner. And what it seems to me from what we know is that there's just this is what happens when a country is literally in civil wars, that there's rival factions within the government that you could be yeah. taking taking orders from one part of the government. And then another part of the government is saying that you're doing something illegal. And the reason I bring up the interview is I remember you. I vividly remember you saying, hey, Chris Osmond is a friend. He's a good yeah. guy. But I would say to those guys, if I was talking to them personally, what the hell were you thinking going over there? And yeah, so when I yeah. texted you yesterday about this news, I know that your reaction was it's Haiti. This is kind of what goes on. Yeah, there. <laughs> yeah. it is. If you and if we had video, you'll see you would have saw me throw my hands up like, eh, what are you going to do? I, that's just how it is. It's how third world countries are. And it is a third world country, whether you take offense to that or not. I don't care. That's it, what it is. It, and um, you're going to have rivals. You're going to have people that go into power. And you know, I worked in a lot of these countries overseas as well. When you get into Iraq or you get into different provinces within the certain countries and you have like, like Kurdistan has basically two prime ministers. They have Suleiman, uh, they have uh, Talibani and Barzani. And you think one of them is going to let go of power with, especially with an election. No, it doesn't happen. It, once you're in power, you remain in power and you remain in power by any means necessary. And on the flip side, if you want to take power, you take power by any means necessary. And, and sometimes that is contracting, military militaries or whatever you want to call them mercenaries, which is what these guys are. They were, they were mercenaries. Um, and there's a difference. A mercenary guys is somebody that takes money to work for a foreign country where a contractor is somebody that actually works for the country. And so I like, and you take money from the actual country. Was there a different, I'm just telling you that that's just the, the black and white of it all. But when it comes right down to it, if you're doing something shady, you're doing something shady, whether you're a contractor or a mercenary, which in this case, it sounds like they, you know, they, they were, they were hired on by someone. It could have been a rival. It, it could have been a foreign country that said, Hey, go and take this guy out. We don't need him in power. He's hindering something that we need, whether it be oil, uh, shocker, heard of that for oil or gold. Maybe he doesn't want to get in and take part in the, uh, in the uh, Euro, which, cause he has his own gold reserves, uh, uh, i.e. Gaddafi, whether it's someone else and, and, another country comes in and does it. So I, I don't know. I don't know who did this, you know, who, who facilitated it all. All I know is that this happens. This is what it is. This is what insta instability in a country does. And that's why when people say we want a civil war, like, no, you don't. Same thing. <laughs> it's like, yeah. no, you don't. This, this is what it comes to. And you can't climb your way out of it because there's always going to be a fighting for power and really, if you go back on history and, and you know, I, I do my I do do my military history. I do do my and Haiti is one of them because when I was going to range battalion, Ben Morgan, who we had on the show, first battalion was just coming back during this 90s days in 94 when they went over to do range. They said Rangers do over there, do uh, excuse me, Rangers to go over there and do police action. Rangers don't do police action, guys. It's, that's that's just asking for trouble. But, you know, we were getting spun up as a new private to go over there to Haiti because we thought it was going to turn into like another Grenada or Panama, which it didn't.
but that America has a lot to do with the instability of Haiti. If you go back in the past and you look at it. So to say that it's far fetched that some organization here in the U S and I'm not saying they did guys don't uh, Tono said the U S assassinated Haiti. <laughs> I'm not saying that, but that's what I'm, the, the, what the instability calls ca- causes is it causes all countries to want to try to gain some sort of foothold and power and then also the rivals as well. And it just turns into bloodshed and it turns into chaos and it turns into really the people that are always suffering. They're going to continue to suffer. But the ones up top, nah, they, they'll die because somebody's going to kill them like the like the president. Is it prime minister or president? Help me, buddy. No, it, it's the president. And that's the interesting the thing is I, I should have done my research on this, but I didn't admittedly. Um, I know that the prime minister commented, which made me That's wonder right. if it's like Israel, because like in Israel, you know, Netanyahu is at the top. He's the prime minister, but they have a president and the president is almost like the vice president there. I don't know if that's how it is that's, in Haiti. I don't know. If the you prime know what? I don't, I don't know that either. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I know they both have a lot of power and I do both know that. And I know that this this president did wasn't elected. He kind of just appointed himself president and he wasn't going to let go of it. Like many which, other countries. Yeah, exactly. And this yeah. is how, you, this is the only elections don't dispose of. I think that's one thing that we learn. We should learn as an American government. Uh, elections don't dispose of people that are in power here. You can't have a so, democratic election. No, it's just, I'm, I'm on a, uh, I'm on Wikipedia right here. Just, yeah, yeah. just so, you know, to give people an idea and, you know, you never know what's accurate or not on Wikipedia. So I'm just letting you know. But this is what it says. It says the government of Haiti is a semi-presidential republic, a multi-party system wherein the president of Haiti is head of state elected directly by popular elections, which you're saying is untrue, which I take your word at. You know, there are a lot of countries that say that it's a popular election. The popular and, election. Know, it's yeah. bullshit. Yeah, yeah. The prime is. minister acts as head of the government and is appointed by the president chosen from the majority party in the National Assembly. So um, the prime minister acts as head of government. So I guess, well, and then it says is appointed by the president. So I'm guessing that means the president is at the top. Don't quote me. I could be wrong. And that's what I thought too, but I'm, I'm not for sure either. It's just, uh, but uh, this particular president that they had in charge was not elected. He, he was, there was a coup and then somebody else died and he stepped in and said, I'm going to be the president here. And, I, and the people actually were, were, I do know that I, I, I don't know. I, I know I don't pay attention to a lot, but I, I do pay, I, this stuff interests me when it comes to security and military affairs or, or, or uh, paramilitary. Um, same, as, same here. Yeah, it, it really does. And, and, um, and, you know, I do know that the people, didn't want him in charge. A lot of the people, but again, who we're getting information from news sources that we have also learned. And I've learned immensely from after being on the podcast here and the work at the end that a lot of news sources are going to slant and tell you what they wanted. There's agendas regardless. It's hard to just get black and white news. So who knew maybe the people wanted him, but the, there's an organization out there that runs a media outlet that, that says they didn't, who knows? I, all I know is that, uh, that third world countries, this is what's going to happen when you vie for power and you want power and then you try to keep stay in power because if you're not in power and you're a prime minister president you seem you 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 know you, you don't just go like our presidents here's a secret service here's your detail for the rest of your life or protect the rest of your life once you're out of power you're thrown back into the normal society and you're that, that's not how they want to live now now they're living just like everybody else and after feeling the taste of living up on a hill, living in a mansion or a castle, literally, and having a full-on army at your disposal, 
and then just going back, oh, I'm, now I'm just going to go live on my peanut farm now. It, that, that doesn't work in other countries. Here in the United States, that works. That doesn't, once you're out of power, your life is it just as in much danger as when you're in power, but you don't get all the luxuries that go with being in power, which is the castles and and the vices, which you guys know what I'm talking about when I say vices, and the army protecting you and the ability to squash your rivals with an army if you want to. And, you know, again, go back to Haiti's history to the 1800s and the United States had, a, we have a lot of, I don't think the influence is good. A lot of influence in there in Haiti. And you'll see that we destabilized that country over the years as well. And you'll look at the battles and, and the coups and, and the military generals fighting for power and man, it's, but it's how it is. So again, if you want a civil war guys, watch that. That's, that's what will happen on an even grander scale because what's Haiti, the size of Florida, (laughs) not even that. Think of a civil war on the, on the scale of the United States size. Oh my gosh. We, it would, we would be back in the dark ages and it'd be, and we wouldn't get out of it. So don't, don't preach for that war guys. Cause this, we have an examples to learn from and on a security aspect though, on the tactical side, the guys that snuck in, that shows that security teams that aren't U S security teams, how much respect they have for the U S because they said the guys coming in said that they were, they disguised themselves as DEA agents and basically got on the compound. I, I've always wondered about it because we we've done that before where we've gone onto places and said, yeah, we're state department or Hey, yeah, we're FBI or the Scott. I mean, just masquerading. And that is the respect that other countries' security teams have for U.S. security teams or U.S. military. They don't question it. <laughs> it's like, OK, here you go. That that I can see people are like, how the hell did they do that? We would never let. Yeah, you're right. In the U.S., we would never let that happen. But overseas, that's a respect that you get being the United States military security or so forth. All you got to do is say yeah, or, or fed or you guys. Say, yeah, I'm with them. You speak English, you look the part, have the goatee going on. Maybe you're all 5'11'd out and all your gear and uh, they're going to let you right in. And and I think this is going to hurt, honestly, security operations. It's going to make security operations harder for U.S. personnel overseas. But, you know, it is what it is. That's just part of the job. So uh, that didn't shock me the way they snuck in because we've got into places like that before where we just masqueraded as somebody else. Like, yeah, I'm State Department. Oh, here's my badge. You know, it's a junior G-man badge that you just, it's like Fletch flashing it right quick. Hey, look at that stuff. <laughs> and they'll, yeah, come on in. Americans, yeah, come on in. And here, here, there, there you go. What happened? Your, uh, your mercenary comment was making me think of that uh, T-shirt that Jack Murphy has, which I think is based off a historical sign that says, uh, I, I'm, I'm probably getting it slightly wrong, but it's like, if you kill for pleasure, you're a sadist. If you yep. kill for profit, you're a uh, mercenary. If you kill for both, you're a ranger. That's yeah. That, You've seen that before, right? Now, yeah, that's it. Was our S five? We have it at our our S five shops. We had it in rangers. Have we are we have? I don't know if they still do, but we used to have our interior shops where you could go buy just only rangers could buy this stuff, and it's our own little S five shop. And yeah, we had that shirt was in there. It's really cool. I think we also had, they started to sell it like at Ranger Joe's or us cab there at Fort Benning, but yeah, that's a classic man. (laughs) And it's based, it's based off a real historical sign. I don't know if it's from like Vietnam Rangers, something like that. I've seen the picture of guys at the sign and it's definitely from many decades ago. I have to look, I didn't, I'll be, I didn't know that. I feel bad. I'll do pushups later because I didn't know. Yeah. Because 
the shirt has a misspelling. And I remember someone commenting on the shirt having a misspelling. And he's like, yeah, well, the historical sign had a misspelling. It's based off, it's based off the, the sign, um, which is kind of uh, cool. I, I know. I'm, I'm looking at it now. I'm going to be looking at it. I'm down. Yeah. That's well, cool. The other, yeah. The, the other thing I was going to say, too, though, is when we were talking about special operations guys involved in instability in other countries or former special operations guys, it's not as uncommon as, as people would think, because we've yeah. even had guys on the show who have been involved in that type of thing. And I can tell you this because public knowledge. One of them was Dale Comstock was involved yeah. in what some would call, you know, um, assassinations, mercenary assassinations in in Yemen. And this was supposed to be classified information. One guy who was on the mission, I believe was a former SEAL, started talking to someone in Hollywood saying, well, we should do a movie about this. And sure enough, a picture comes out of these guys. And Dale Comstock is a pretty recognizable guy. Uh, And so he's not a dummy. He's not going to come out and say, oh, that's not me in the picture. Um, But Dale did come out and he said, yes, that's me. I have no problem with what we did. We were killing terrorists. Same thing we do over here. Now, other people might dispute that, but uh, my point being, this isn't that uh, uncommon from what I know. No, no it's, we, we've been destabilizing countries forever. I, to say that we had, to, we just, we're doing that to Haiti. No, I'm not saying that. I had no idea. I, I honestly, my, my first knee jerk reaction to it, which you should never knee jerk to anything. But <laughs> my first thing is, is that a person in Haiti that wanted the power or there's a ton of drugs now in Haiti. I mean, there's always been drugs in Haiti, but there's cartels there now. They would just wanted him out, and they they paid a group mercenary group, or they just paid a group of guys to to take him out. Um, you know, but going down that rabbit hole to say that the U.S. government or any other foreign governments don't come into regions to destabilize them, well, yeah, that happens too. That's what we did in Libya to say that it was overthrow Gaddafi, horseshit. What Gaddafi was not no threat to America, and he hated terrorists worse than we did. There were no terrorists in. Libya when Gaddafi was in power. Now that it's a it's a training ground for him, but that was another where we did destabilize a region on a grand scale. And then also, I worked in Yemen when Comstock was over there. We didn't cross paths, but I was doing security over there. Um, yeah, we were over. We destabilized Yemen as well. I saw that happen. Uh, I experienced it, so it's not like I saw it on the news. Like I was there, part of it, watching it go on, and. Uh, so it's, it is never far fetched. And we talked on the Adam show as well. Um, it's yeah. never far spent. It's not a conspiracy theory because if the, the government's not always a hundred percent right. If you believe that, then you, you know, you've got a bag full of hammers for brains, but uh, it, it's the, it, it's that governments and the U S government especially is not above going into stabilizing regions and assassinations and so forth. And it happens. Although from what I know with contracting, it's sometimes, I mean, you can answer this better than me, of course, sometimes not connected with the government. It's sometimes private interest, right? Sometimes it is private. Yeah, I've done private interest, but it, my, all mine has been on protection or anti-kidnapping or finding someone that, um, but yeah, uh, yeah, of course it is. Um, and it goes on and money's money's money. And, and cor- sometimes corporate <laughs> big corporations or or just po- politicians in power that own corporations, they have that kind of money and they can contract somebody. Hey, go do this. But the, the, the word, the hard thing, and especially with Americans doing it is is our system of getting passports and, and coming back into the country. It is excellent in comparison to other countries. Maybe Israel is probably the only one that's better than us. Um, 
it's hard to just go out of the country. In my opinion, I, you're eventually going to get caught if you're doing it because of our immigration coming back in and out. I mean, even me going to Costa Rica and back or going, I, I got recognized. And again, I got recognized coming back or you always get scrutiny you know, when you go and, hey, what are you here for? Because it, it's not, it is weird for an American to keep coming in and out of a country over and over and over again. Um uh, you have to use that. Hey, I'm with a, unless there's a corporation that you can do a cover for status, which, Hey, I'm with this corporation that's building things in this foreign country. And, and you continually come over and back like pipelines or schools or so forth. But hey, what I'm getting at guys, it's it, it, the movies make it look easy. Um, it's not that easy. And eventually guys, if you're doing it, you're going to get caught or you're going to get killed. One of the two. Um, but it is possible. That's all. So let's put it that way. But in Haiti's case, again, I just think it was a rival that paid somebody and it could have been Americans. It could have been anybody because they did. See, they said they spoke Spanish and English and Creole and French is Haiti's, Haiti's languages. But Haiti's not that far from Puerto Rico or Mexico or any or, of course, Florida. I mean, it's not. So who knows, man? I mean, as more stuff comes out, we'll figure it out. But my thing is. And the final the final thought of I have on here is that hey, if you're in a third world country, you're in power. Uh, yeah, probably want to beef up your security team and don't let anybody 30 feet or 30 yards from you, not 30 feet, because you're going to get killed <laughs> if you don't show up your security and just expect it. But then to remain in power. Yeah, they're going to kill their rivals to remain in power. Just, it's how it is. That's how that's how they have and flow is there. And that's why living here is so wonderful. Because we have our complaints, we bitch about each other, the parties back and forth, but we haven't gone that route yet, which I, I'm saying yet because I shouldn't even have said yet. That leaves the door open that it might. And, and I, I don't want to think that because I don't want to live in a country like that. I've, I have. And it's it's you're always looking over your shoulder and the infrastructure is just tore up and you can't get toilet paper. <laughs> So that's kind of a joke, but literally, I know it's hard. It's hard. It's hard, it's hard to you know. The, you just don't have the the, the just the necess- necessities or just the just the luxuries that we have here. Going to Starbucks, you don't have that. You don't have those luxuries that you we we take for granted here in the United States. Doing your downrange, and I like those luxuries. That's why I live here. That's why I don't move. So anyway, I, I know we're, we're running on time, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's all good. I'll, I'll, I'll text Paul Braun while we're uh, going through this. But yeah, before we get to Paul, we have some great sponsors who keep us going and doing what we're doing. And one of those being you heard us talk about recently, Pamax Tactical. Pamax Tactical Inc. is a law enforcement owned and operated company. Their Lion device, which is the L-I-O-N, Low Impact Ordnance Non-Lethal Device, is a reusable, reloadable, impact-actuated BFD, blank fire device, designed for simulation sports and training. It is not a flashbang. The device accepts three cartridges, any 209 primer, 9mm pack blanks, and B12 mini blanks. The V2 base is available for law enforcement officers and military that accepts proprietary B12 2-inch blanks to replace the modern use of flashbangs. They're safer, more reliable, more cost-effective than flashbangs, no paperwork, and they're proudly made in the USA. We got to add that because not a lot of stuff is made in the USA nowadays. And uh, if you're a shooting instructor or if you're someone looking to up your game, I yep. know as you'll tell them, this is something you need. Yeah, guys, if the instructors out there that that need those uh, those devices to up the stress levels a bit but aren't looking 
for and you're looking for non-lethal devices and you know it's not a flashbang which is good it's safer than a flashbang flashbangs can be dangerous if they aren't used correctly because they're basically explosions in your hand that the the pamex is and the line i mean pamex tacticals line device um it's safe as far as uh, you can drop it throw it it's not going to go off and i've seen the guys even if they they've they've demonstrated it where they're and go on the youtube channels and, and look at them and demonstrate it just how close they are when that thing goes off and, and it's, it's safe. It's safer than you're going to be with a, a flashbang. So if you're doing any sort of stressful classes, you need that, that those explosions and you don't want to use and you don't need to use the flashbangs, go to that line device because it is a hundred times better, hundred times safer, and you can reuse it over and over again. So over time, you're going to save money. So, um, and the best thing at all, they are, they're, they're made here. Everything is manufactured in the U S which, uh, that is rarity nowadays. So check them out guys, fellow instructors out there, definitely use them, especially if you're doing CQB courses, vehicle defense courses, or any sort of high stress courses where you need that, you need those explosions to simulate, uh, simulate anything as far as high levels of stress and get the stress levels up whenever you start. So Check out Pamex Tactical and the Lion device. I have one, and I'll be using it in my next vehicle defense course that we have uh, coming up this year. Yeah. So for the audience, you know, I know a lot of you guys, and we say it in episodes, talk about that you want to go out there and support businesses that make things in America. I mean, here's your chance. We talked about it on the episode with Alex Holland. So if you're a gun owner, if you're someone who's training, you got to get this. So pmtactical.com. And then use the promo code Tonto for 10% off all your purchases. Awesome. Uh, and you guys should know, but I, I see it when people even comment with you. They spell your not only your first name wrong, but your call sign wrong. So it's T-A-N-T-O yeah. at pmtactical.com. You're going to get 10% off all purchases. And while we're talking about firearms, every show is sponsored by our friends at Fort Scott Munitions. Fort Scott is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition that is designed to tumble upon impact their trademark in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with every pull of that trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states. Here's what you got to do. Go to their website, which is fortscottmunitions.com. Click on the dealer locator, and you're going to find a store right by you. Now, for their merch, you could still buy that on the website, and that's right there, fortscottmunitions.com, and you're going to get a discount for being a listener of the show when you use the exclusive promo code BATTLELINE. Once again, one word for 15% off your order, only available to listeners of the battle line podcast. This is an ammo you've been using for years and that's why we stand behind them. Yeah. Good company. Uh, always coming up and innovating. They're looking at doing a tumble on impact with carbines with a uh, 45s now. And uh, guys, so they're always moving forward. They're not staying static. They're always trying to innovate and get better ammo out there and make the ammo they have better. Um, uh, tremendous company, tremendous uh, product. And again, I, I continually use it. I'm using it this weekend at my Tennessee course and it's my home defense ammo as well. Um, there's no other better better 300 blackout as well. If we want to get specific, they make great ammo all the way across the board, 9 mil, 5.56, but 300 blackout, 
to me is my favorite that they make. And it, there's nothing else out there that comes close to it. So check out four Scott munitions and the, and the, the, the tactical tactical squash t-shirts and, and their, their gear that they have tremendous. And yep, come down to Fort Scott one of these days and, and visit the facility. Um, yeah, it's, I got it's, it. It is. It is. It's cool. It's cool. And the Fort Scott itself, the town is, is tremendous. So uh, it's beautiful, beautiful place. So yeah, good, good yep. on you. Get out, get with them and Fort Scott munitions guys, uh, search them and do your due diligence, but try their ammo. You won't go to, you won't go back to your old ammo once you try theirs. Yep, that's where Chris lives now. And, and Fort Scott yeah. Munitions <laughs> is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, yeah. and the Battleline Podcast. With that, joining us for the first time on Battleline Podcast, Paul Braun, retired federal police officer, Army combat vet, firearms instructor, and of course, the director at Maxim Defense. You and Chris have known each other for quite a while. And just speaking with you, um, Prior, I know you have some great stories we'll be able to get into, but uh, great to have you on for the first time, man. I'm excited for it. Uh, thanks a lot for having me on, guys. Looking forward to being able to chat with you today. Yeah, bro. Absolutely. Uh, hey, hey, you know what? Since, since we had our technical difficulties, which the listeners do not know about until just now, because I told you we did, go in and, and get your background, man. Tell people a little bit of, of your your military service, because you, you had an amazing military career, and then if you can, you know, time in Baghdad, because I, even then was, you know, you went through some hell there, but you also uh, did some amazing things with the unit you're with as well. And, and um, a lot of people don't know that, Paul, I actually, I, I, I don't know a lot of all of your military stuff. So uh, I'd like to have a little bit of knowledge on it. And I'm sure our listeners would too, if you don't mind getting yeah. into it a bit. So I actually started in law enforcement first um, and I was having dinner uh, with some friends um, about 2005, I want to say. And uh, they started complaining about the war. And one of the guy's wife said, you know, it's too bad we're sending soldiers over for their second tours at this point. Um, and I said, well, why don't you do something about it? So just sit here and complain. She's like, what, should I write a letter? I'm like, no, why don't you join? And if you join, then maybe someone doesn't have to go for their second tour. And she looked at me and she's like, well, why don't you? And <laughs> I was quiet for the rest of the night. And the next day, you know, my wife at the time looks at me. And she's like, this is obviously bothering you. And I'm like, it really is. Uh, she's like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I guess I'm going to talk to a recruiter. So I talked to a recruiter on that Monday. And six weeks later, I found myself in basic training in AIT, signed up for the Army to do everything I could do for the country. Damn, when, when talking shit goes horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, so how did you join the army? I'm like, well, I kind of lost the penis. <laughs> like, um, what, what, what year was that, brother? Do you, uh, that was uh, at the end of 2005 going into 2006. Okay. okay. And uh, yeah, so here I am, the old guy at basic training. And, you know, when you're at basic, you're always trying to be under the radar as much as you can. And, and I really stuck out because, you know, I'm old. And uh, there was a how, thing how, how, old, how old at the time, Paul? I was 33 at the time. Yeah, that is pretty old. old that yeah, you're, you're, you're old. Yeah, I, I am old, but I look like I'm 10 years old. So that he does. <laughs> he does. We can't see his picture right now, Ian, but if you did, he does. He looks like Father Time a little bit, a little <laughs> bit like Father Time. If Father Time was an Eskimo, kind of yeah. like that. That's what I like. Very much. <laughs> so there we are at basic. And, uh, you know, I, I've been around these rifles and handguns and, and you know, it was common sense things to me. And uh, one day, one of the drill sergeants started a joke saying, don't say anything around that guy. He's CID. And then we found out that that, that cadre 
that unit at basic had been in trouble the cycle before a couple of drill sergeants actually like ended up going to jail over something and it it was a bad deal so all of a sudden i show up out of nowhere you know i'm trying to be quiet no one talked to me i'll just do my thing and the drill the undercover cid rumor started so they kept telling all the contract, don't talk to him, don't say anything, that's undercover CID. So one night I'm in my bunk, I'm reading a book, which you're not supposed to do. And the drill sergeant walks over and starts yelling. He's like, shut off your flashlight, bro, knock it off. And I'm like, hey, drill sergeant, come here for a second. He walks over. I'm like, you know, if I am undercover CID, you're not helping me do my job. <laughs> and the look out of his face was just awesome. And he quickly backed off. And then the next day, another drill sergeant pulls me to the side. He's like, you know, if you're undercover CID, you got to tell us. I'm like, drill sergeant, if I was undercover CID, do you really think I'd be allowed to tell you? And of course, the rumors kept going. Well, a couple of days later, we or a couple of weeks later, we were getting smoked out in the uh, pit, you know, because we're it's a Sunday. They're bored. We're doing stupid stuff and we got in trouble. And the drill sergeant that was smoking us was having us run around after doing front back goes. And the kid next to me on the track, his eyes rolled to the back of his head and he just dropped. And I roll him over and he's not breathing. I have no pulse. I immediately start doing CPR on the kid. Another guy comes running over and he starts, you know, you know helping out. The drill sergeant stand there like, man, I'm screwed. I'm just screwed. I'm in trouble. And I'm like, well, go call for help, right? So uh, I bring the kid back around and he starts kind of sputtering a little bit and then he crashed a second time and then we started CPR on him a second time. Anyways, the the fire department shows up, the MPs get there, we bring the kid back a second time, they take over. The drill sergeant is still standing there like, oh man, I'm just screwed. So we we get all the other privates, we bring him back to the barracks and, you know, hey guys, calm down, he'll be fine. About two weeks later, um, we never saw a private back again, but two weeks later, uh, they called the formation and here's the base commander, the base sergeant major. They call everybody out front and the drill sergeant and the other private that was helping me gets called the front formation and they're getting like letters for life saving awards. And everyone's like, how come Bron's not up there? And my buddy next to me is like, cause he's undercover CID. <laughs> they can't give him a medal under a fake name. And from that point on, it was fake for me at basic training. So, so, so did you get any, did, did they, did they just keep your hands off you then? Or did you get more shit or you, was it, was it, it sounds to me like it would be better. Like, well, shit, yeah, they're just going to leave me alone. More phone time if I wanted to get to a pay phone to call <laughs> home. Uh, you know, I could walk around by myself. I could put my hands in my pockets. That's how easy. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty easy, dude. You can't do that. That's, that's no. just shit. <laughs> so from there, it was a uh, full time in the army. And then from there, I went to the reserves and to the national guard. And anytime I could find a, an open spot to jump on deployment, I just started jumping on it. So, well, and that's where people, I, I'm, guard did a lot of deployments, especially that time. And, and you know, and the reserves and so forth going over even just as much as active duty a lot of times during 05 through where it was until 2010 and and um when you joined the guard then and you got over there it was minnesota national guard correct correct yeah i was part of the 34th mp company the minnesota red bulls and it was that what your your job was when you went to basic training i mean i know you were cid but was your (laughs) other job was your other job your mos was it was it military police or was it something else you know, it was MP, and I, I like to call ourselves, you know, we were multi-purpose. Whatever they needed us to fill yeah. into, we were, we were combat with wheels. You know, we had lots of cool trucks with lots of guns, and we are doing combat support um, in Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, you know, with the 79th, we were General Petraeus' bodyguard team. Yeah. Uh, we worked with MIT teams. We, we did base security, external QRF, internal QRF. Um, actually, uh, 
what of all the different things I, I got to do in the army, uh, still the one I talk about the most is actually uh, in Iraq in 2009 in Basra. Um, we were part of the MND South. Here was the first time ever a National Guard unit's in charge of all of multinational, you know, uh, Iraq mm-hmm. South. And uh, I got several different positions when I was there, but my favorite, um, they stuck me up at the gate uh, with this amazing interpreter. And my terp at the time, the, t- the interpreter we had just before then ended up working for the militia. So, of course, we're like, yeah, we hate Iraqis. We hate interpreters. <laughs> this guy sucks. You know, he's trying to kill us. And then when we got a new terp, we're like, well, who are we going to get? And like, where are you going to get that guy? And I'm like, hey, I recognize that guy. He worked like on the base security or, you know, opening car doors so we didn't blow up. And he would. And they're yeah. like, yeah. And he finally passed. I'm like, all right. So he's a Bedouin. So he's not Sunni or Shia. This should yeah. be cool. Yeah. Uh, what should we call him? And and he's, he's walking by us at the time. We're trying to figure out his name. And he's literally puffing a cigarette and going, you will call me Philip Morris. I'm like, ah, shit. That <laughs> so I got Philip as my interpreter. And uh, Philip ended up saving my life. Uh, he ended wow. up saving my team's life. Uh, he saved it a second time. We saved his. He saved ours again. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be talking to you today. And uh, I, I have the utmost respect for him. I mean, he, he fought with us. He bled with us. He mourned with us when I lost my guys on that tour. He did. He was one of us. There was no difference between him and the other guys. So you, you can't just say that he saved your life without getting into that experience. People are going to want to hear how did he save your life? We were he was because, you know, we do the best we can to recognize customs and cultures and everything else. And he was right away. Here comes a car. He's like, be bid. I'm like, all right, here we go. There's a born ID. Um, he'd come walking by. He's like, that guy's militia. I'm like, all right. And next thing you know, we're pulling off a gun off this guy who's getting ready to sneak behind us and start shooting at us. Um, he was just instrumental because you you learn the language. You learn a few of the customs. But, you know, I'm from Minnesota. And if I go and hang out in Southern California, I have no idea what the hell anybody there is doing. And he's that person that's my guide for that region of the world of that community. He can tell who's a Bedouin, who's a Shia, yeah. who's a Sunni, um, which people are bad. And he didn't wear a mask. So everybody figured out who he was, yeah. which put his life in a lot of danger. But yeah, he was able to point out two V bids for us. Uh, we had a, a guy that was actually trying to do a command detonation. He's like, you know, get him, get him. And we were able to get the guy before he was able to blow us up. So yeah, yeah. he an amazing guy. It is, I would, it is, by the way, I would, I'm just real quick. I would never know that Paul is from Minnesota. Uh, you know, cause you know what it is? You, I'm a voice guy and it's like, you don't really have much of an accent. And I think of Minnesota is like that Michelle Bachman accent. You don't have that. <laughs> oh yeah. All the, all the voiceovers from Minnesota are done by my wife. She's the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> she did. Did, did I, you know, with, with the, uh, with the Terps, I think they get taken for granted. There's a, there were, you know, there were many that you couldn't trust. There were, just like you said, you, you never knew. And that was, that was uh, something you always had to be aware of. But once you got over that and you had guys like Philip, or we had a guy like we called Rambo in Afghanistan that literally jumped into a car when they were still, uh, they were still not, not remote detonating, detonating, but command, de- they were touching wires. They were pushing buttons, pushing cell phones where he jumped in a car and held the dude's hand so we could get to him and get the, get the cell phone. I mean, those guys risked their lives on, on so many levels that and the amazing things they did were just to, uh, just to put themselves in danger for nothing. I mean, what was, what was Philip getting paid? I think Rambo was getting paid like 20 bucks a day. Yeah, he wasn't getting much, and they'd pay him like once every couple of weeks. But what they got was a promise. 
they got a yeah. promise that if they were able to work with U.S. forces for at least two years and being in good standing, that they have that opportunity for a special immigration visa. And at first, Philip is like, I don't want to leave my country. When we first invaded Iraq, he's like, you know, like the rest of the Iraqis, oh, we listen to Saddam and you guys are bad. And actually, no, you're killing all the bad guys and you're actually trying to help things out. So we like you now. And that's why he, you know, he's actually helping his country. And he wanted to help out by learning the language to help the U.S. forces help his community, which was absolutely awesome. Um, but at the same time, we were, um, uh, we were there when the British were there and, you know, Blair and Obama had that little falling out where the British were literally done the next day, no more missions. You guys are done. So they kicked all their troops off, you know, and said, you guys can't come back. And they started coming to us the next day. And again, we were stuck up with the gate for a while. And we're like, I'm sorry, but we can't let you on. The British government said they'll be in touch with you in the future and get you taken care of. And within a couple of days, um, there was the first body that was brought to us and here's a, a shrouded body wrapped up. You know, you could tell obviously it had been shot and you know, this, they, they laid it by our feet and said, so this is my brother. And he was an interpreter for the British and uh, the militia came to our home last night and they executed in front of his family. Uh, what can you do about it? We felt like idiots. Cause like, well, there's nothing we can do. They yeah. Yeah. British, but not us. And that was the first of 19 bodies within a two week period that, Philip is literally translating over the body of someone that's doing his job. Yeah, that 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 is, and we talked about we've talked about that on the show before. So you, people don't understand that when we go into countries, we fuck these countries up, and then we just leave. Everybody that was siding on us, everybody that was helping us, the interpreters especially, uh, they're they're going to die. I, I I'm not saying they're at risk. I'm not saying that they're possibly going. to, I'm going to just say right up point like they're going to die. And people don't, politicians don't see that shit. Or if they do, they don't care. I'll say plain and simple. They don't care. And, and it's just not, hey, we got to pull troops out. Well, again, we are just destabilizing a region. And we're giving, we're, we're giving everybody that has helped us, all the locals that have believed in us, that have fought and bled, like Philip did, that have have believed in the uh, the American dream and so forth, which is what, what we spend to them. We've left them to their own accord. And they're and they're gonna they're gonna die because they are now the enemy and the Taliban, the Al Qaeda, or Fala Sahate, ISIS, whatever. They're on their hit list, and they're an easy target because now they don't have Big Bad America backing them up. You know, they got an AK forty seven, and yeah. guess what? ISIS has a hundred AK forty sevens. So um, yeah, brother. Yeah, but yeah, I keep, I, I, I want to point that out because so people need to realize that in wars and when we just leave countries. Yeah, it's all good for us, but for all those people that lived with us and fought with us, we've just left them. We've left them, and we've left them to die, and their families to die, or worse yet, you know, raped or stoned or, or what, anything. Uh, oh yeah. So, but yeah, what, yeah, I, it, yeah. What we saw the militia do to them was was you know atrocious, and as Americans, we you know we want to help, we want to defend, um, but it, you know, especially at this point of the war, where we're at the helping stage. Um, you know, it was rather demoralizing to see what was going on. So it's demoralizing, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, you know, we pulled some shenanigans so we could try and get the British that were up there to help out because we were actually working outside the wire at Tier One operations, you know, so that <clears throat> when the bombs did go off or a VB had come by, to have minimal damage to the base. So we were way out past the wire, so to speak. Um, but as you were talking with Terps, some are gold, some are horrible. But even the ones that were gold, we still had to watch them because what if they kidnapped his family? And said, you're going to go kill some Americans or we're going to kill your family. So yeah, you can yeah. never fully trust the Terps. So we had Terp duty. 
You know, and it, Ian, today's your job for turf duty. So you watch the turf, and if he does something stupid, you shoot him. That's your job for the day. And Philip knew this. And at one point, we had a discussion. I'm like, as you and I are becoming friends, don't ever think that if I think you're going to harm myself or my soldiers, I'm just going to fucking shoot you. And he starts to laugh. I'm like, you think that's funny? He's like, yeah, because someday we'll sit in America and laugh about this conversation over tea. And I'm like, well, I'm never going to sit in America with an Iraqi. Tea. I mean, no way. That's not going to happen. So one thing led to another, though. And uh, we finally said to Philip, they're going to kill you. Do you want to come to America? He's like, ah, I don't know. You know, I, this is my country, but I have no choice. I have to. So I started the paperwork to get him to legally get to the United States. And we knew we had to hit that two-year mark. But even after that, it was a three-and-a-half-year journey of fighting the State Department to get the proper approval to bring him to the United States. Uh, and that's that's the, the terrible part of it, too, is that how hard is it? Well, you, you see, and just even people trying to legally come across the border, just the, the lawyers and the paperwork and so forth. <laughs> That, that to try to get into America. And, and these guys like Phil, Philip was giving his life for America. He's giving, he's giving his life more than some Americans would, if not 75% of this country and um, getting the paperwork done. To, but that, where you think that, Hey, man, he's done everything he has. He's needed to get his ass over here before they kill him and his family. But, but like yeah. I said, on, on a positive side though, he did take him three years. What happened and how did he get that once he got over here? And, uh, and you know, yeah, just tell, tell, tell us, because I, I, I want to know, because you saw a look on his face when he when he got here and, and if yeah, he was well, happy so forth. So three and a half years later, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm telling my wife, you know, I don't talk war stuff very much at home. And uh, she's I'm like, hey, do you remember that interpreter was kind of helped do that paperwork? She's like, yeah. I'm like, he just sent me a text of a picture. He's got his visa. She's like, no way. And I'm like, yeah. So I'm buying him a ticket to get to the United States and he's going to need a place to stay. And she's like, all right. And we literally opened our doors to him so he could live with us. And I went to the airport to go pick him up. And it was, uh, you know, December 17th uh, in Minnesota. And he walked off the plane and his skin like turned blue. Like a smirk. <laughs> uh, I think it was like 22 <laughs> degrees below zero air temperature. And he's like, oh, my God, it's cold. I'm like, I told you it was going to be cold. You know, welcome to America. And uh, <laughs> so we brought him home. Uh, he literally had the clothes on his back. Uh, the local media came out and did a story on him. And they the community opened up their arms. And people were donating money and uh, clothing and a computer so he could try and Skype back to his family. And it was amazing how many people were just trying to help out. And the media kept coming back over and over again. So he kind of became this little TV star. Uh, in, in Minnesota. And then that got us some national TV attention. And one thing led to another and we're like on 60 minutes and we're having AB or CBS evening news show up. Um, and it, it was very weird. And then we had a, a film crew show up and like, Hey, you know, we'd like to do a documentary film crew or a film on you guys. And I'm like, well, this is going to be stupid. All right, whatever. And of course, Philip was <laughs> like, Hey, Kim Kardashian, this is awesome. But there was that were involved because there was a picture that showed up on the Associated Press of Philip and I ended up in Iraq on Al Araba TV. And it happened because Philip had to go back to Iraq to sign off on documents for his family. And when he got there, his picture shows up on TV and then they put two and two together and they were hunting him down again. So we had to sneak him back wow. out of the country once he filled out that documents and we got him back. But he was with us for three years uh, living with us until we were able to successfully get his wife and children over to the United States legally, which again was a three-year battle with the State Department to bring them over. 
Um, but it was amazing, you know, having the boys growing up, you know, with an Iraqi at the house and, and learning the culture and learning the language. And, yeah. and you'll never find a more American person than Philip is now, uh, all the way to the point where we got a call from the White House one day. And they said that uh, President Trump is coming to Minnesota and he wants to meet Philip. Uh, Philip was just sworn in as a U.S. citizen right before that phone call. So he wanted to have Philip do the Pledge of Allegiance at a Trump rally as the newest American citizen. And it was just absolutely amazing. And Trump, uh, Philip is a massive Trump fan, as most Iraqis surprisingly are. Um, of course, you'll never hear that in mainstream media, but, you know, they love the guy. He helped get rid of ISIS. So, so yeah, that's it, Philip. Most guys bring back a tea set. I have a terrorist named Philip. He's pretty yeah, that's, 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 and that's that, is a, that is an amazing story. It really yeah, is. Yeah. And his, I, that's when I met Philip was, I think that's when I, you first introduced me to him was, during that, the, the when he was doing the Pledge of Allegiance is when yeah. uh, when you hey, hey, and I I got to meet Philip and and um, he was he, he just smiles and and you know the the he was driving an Uber and it was thought it was the greatest thing in the world. I, that's how cool and how awesome that this country is and the people that come to this country are awesome. They see it. He's driving an Uber and is just ecstatic that he's in the United States. How many Americans would be <laughs> like just driving and driving oh. Uber in Minnesota in the wintertime? That's even worse. So, oh, so, yeah, with I the mean, blizzard. But oh, my. The, his favorite photograph in America on that tour, we, we lost three of our brothers. Uh, Wordish Drevnik and Wilcox were unfortunately killed um, in an attack. And, you know, he was there with us when it happened and it affected him just as much as it affected us. And those mothers each donated money from their son's death benefits to help bring Philip's family here. I mean, that just shows you how much he was a part of our community, um, part of our brotherhood as soldiers. So um, now he's a thriving American. And with his Uber, he, he goes up on social media and he's like, okay, is it okay if I record this and put it on? And he does like cash cab type stuff. Okay. <laughs> for a gift card for $20 for coffee. What is the meaning of the word Minnesota? And nobody knows. And here's this Iraqi that knows like what Minnesota means, Minnehaha, all these Indian words. In now, now I'm curious, what's the meaning of Minnesota? I think it's like I don't even know. <laughs> Water or something like that. But he knows all this stuff and the Pledge of Allegiance back and forth, and he is so proud of his country of America. I mean, I just saw him on social media the other day saying, "I will do anything for my country. I love everybody here, no matter who you are." Um, and you, uh, people that even say. God, I hate that place. We should turn that place into a parking lot and harden soldiers that had bad tours. They meet Philip, and for whatever reason, that smile just warms you over. And he is one of the funniest people you will ever meet. He is. He he's got a huge smile, and he and he brought me back uh, baklava, which means <laughs> it's he has warms my heart when I first met him too. Great great guy, brother. Um, and yeah, I've got, I I do want to tell you if you follow follow. Does he have an Instagram account? Doesn't he? Philip Moore? Is I, Philip you know, Moore? I don't know if he's on Instagram or not. I, I, he had a Facebook. Snapchat the other day. He's Snapchat. on Facebook. He had a Snapchat. I'm like, what the hell? He's like, I got three daughters. What do I? What am I supposed to do? I got to watch. <laughs> um, awesome. And even one of his daughters, their, their English is perfect. And the other day she came up and said, Father, I don't know how you could have been an interpreter. Your English is horrible. <laughs> oh, my God. This is great. Yeah. I, I, you know, if you don't mind, and, and I do, I, I do like especially the guys that, that have been able to handle it well. 
Um, and we'll, we're not going to go on a downer. We'll come back to an upper as well <laughs> after we talk about this. But can you talk a little bit if you're if you're OK to, about the, the your incident? Because this is something that we've talked about before. Yes. Um, uh, uh, where, where you lost your guys. And then, you know, just I think it's for perseverance sake. It's like, hey, it was awful. How'd you get through it? And how are you still coping with it? Because I know you are, brother. I know you are. I want people to hear it. I want people. You to know, hear it. Yeah, so we, we lost three guys in an in a, uh, IDF attack, the small arms fire. And uh, one of the most heroic things you could ever see was our medic, Doc Wilcox, um, who was going to be a doctor. He loved his whole intent in life, you know, and, and his mom, it was the only son. He's got two sisters, you know, beautiful sisters. And, and that was his goal to be a doc. And he was amazing. Um, and he had a tattoo on his arm that said CV Packham Parabellum. And I'm like, I always wanted to get one of those. And he's like, you want to be cool like me? I'm like, shut up, you know? So, <laughs> but good old doc, when we got hit, um, he literally crawled about 30 feet and laid on top of uh, Drevnik, um to protect him from incoming fire. And the ultimate sacrifice, knowing that you yourself are going to die and your last act as a yeah. healer is to protect another soldier. Um, you know, by the time we got there to take care of him. And unfortunately, you know, Worsh was killed instantly. Um, Doc was able to make it about another half hour, 40 minutes um, before he passed on. And we were able to get uh, Drevnik, at least airborne. They were sending him down to uh, Kuwait. Um, they made it down to Bukay, started crashing in the helicopter. So they, they landed there, and he's the only official death, actually, at Camp Buka from when he passed away. Um, and that was on July 16th. 2009. So we have that anniversary coming up here in a few short days, but uh, it, it was devastating to a lot of the guys um, to this unit. It was the first time that they had experienced death. And so others of us that have been around before, you know, we were, I hate to say you get used to it, but you kind of get a little bit used to it. And especially with a lot of these younger soldiers and you're mentoring them through this, this, this grieving time, but you're there to do a job. And they're going to mourn our fallen back home and they will respectfully take care of that. We still have to do our job here. And when we get back, we can take care of that. But you can see where some of the guys start kind of falling off the edges. You know, a little bit of drinking started happening, a lot more yeah, fights yeah. starting to break out. And then when we got home, you know, you see everybody just start to collapse. And, you know, when the drinking starts hitting, and that was the only thing that I really stayed on social media for is you could see how everybody's doing. And now you're seeing the divorces and now you're seeing the separations and the alcoholism taking over. So we just reach out to them and be like, for starters, it's okay to talk about it and it's okay to cry about it. Yeah. Cause that's the big thing about warriors is, you know, we were tough. We're badass, you know, screw everybody else, kill them all. And that's what we all were. But there's also the human thing that's still inside of you that you have to address those emotions. And that was the big thing for me was letting guys know it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to cry about it and then move yeah. on. And yeah. instead of locking myself up in a bottle, you know, I was able to, you know, help mentor a couple of the guys out of the bottle and still work with them. And we still keep in touch with everybody, especially the families, you know, on a monthly basis. So. Uh, that's just good. And, and Philip, I'm curious, how was his attitude? Cause he, when I, I know him, you know, I know him a little bit, you know, him yeah. he's intimately. Um, but was his, how was his mindset? Did he help guys through? I just, I just can, I'm just picturing his smile, continual smile all the time. Yeah. Or did he have a hard time with it as well? He had a hard time in the aspect where he said to us, I vow to you for helping my country. I will help bring you all home to your country. Uh, <clears> and that was yeah. kind of a really hard thing for us to, for him to deal with was he wasn't able to bring all of us home. 
So when he was, when he got here and when he first, we were like, God, how do we introduce him to the families of the fallen? You know, and, um, we were at an event one time, we're all standing there and they literally kind of backed into each other. And it was like, Oh shit, what's going to happen? You know, (laughs) your child was killed by his people and the arms just came up and they embraced and they cried. And I was like, okay, I wasn't expecting that. But, um, when one of the fathers, (laughs) they, he's like, I want to meet him on my terms at my home. I'm like, all right, no problem. So Philip is on his way there by himself. And the father sent me a picture saying, I have a test for him to pass for me to accept them. And the picture was a shot of bourbon, some bacon and a playboy magazine. And I'm like, Oh yeah, he's going to pass this. No problem. So <laughs> no, right. and, and they, after 11, they try, you keep track of them and invite them still to their home to this day. So, but he's doing rather well with it. But, uh, for us, he promised to bring us home to our family, and that's why we wanted to. I, I needed to fulfill that vow to him. I will bring your family to you, and yeah. it was, you know, six and a half years from him to his family being able to get everybody together, and and finally having that cup of tea with him, and uh, yeah. welcome to America. That's awesome, bro. That's awesome. Um, how is uh, with your family? I, you know, you're you're a big proponent of family. Um, your wife's. I met her. She's amazing. And, and oh, yeah, what, no, but I don't remember was if she's going to hate me. Um, was this, was the current wife, the one you were with when you were deployed? On that deployment, Well, actually when I, when I joined the army, I was married before. And, That's uh, right. and I think that kind of fell apart when she's like, okay, you're going to go join out the army and go do things. I'm like, if you're not understanding this, then you're not really understanding me. And that marriage did not work. And, um, Fortunately, I hate to say this, my ex-wife's sister ended up becoming one of my best friends. And she introduced me to Barb saying, uh, he's a really good guy. Actually, he's married to my sister, but they're divorcing and she's not a nice person. So that was my. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) We're at a party and I brought some machine guns along and she's like, "Uh, is this going to hurt? I'm like, no, it's not going to hurt. Let's have some fun. So we went and shot a suppressed MP5 and full auto. And that's actually how we met. And then one thing led to another. And here we are today. That's wait, so wait, cool. wait, 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 did I miss she, your ex-wife's sister introduced you to Barb? That is correct. And uh, that, okay. That's, that's just weird, dude. I didn't even know that. I, I if you did, <laughs> I must I must have glossed over that. Cause that, okay. Does that, does that make fan reunions awkward or you guess it doesn't I know, matter? Actually, we have nothing to do with her. Do with the, <laughs> but we've taken vacations actually with my ex-wife's sister, who I don't okay. even call her that. I, you know, Lauren, her husband, we've actually taken vacations with them. We hang out quite a bit. You know, her sister was a bad part of my life, and and I'm glad that that's gone and over. And bad things fall apart. Sometimes good things fall apart for great things to happen, and that is truly yeah, what yeah. happened. Yes. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. And and the right people come into your life, even in an awkward circumstance like that. <laughs> yeah. Who would have thought that I'd be coming home with a damn Iraqi? You know. And, <laughs> oh, and yeah. Oh. I, I got my own, t- you know, uh, uh, terrace cell at home. It's kind of my sleeper. Cell. <laughs> I call his family. I'm like, hey, sleeper cell. How are you guys doing? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is that we go we we joke like that and i think people on the outside look at and, and think we're being offensive or they or even the iraqis or or afghanis or we're friends with think that that's offensive. that is the jokes that's the and and the banter like that i know it doesn't offend them because they bring it right back on i my, my lebanese buddy that i always say hey you dirty iraqi ah I'm Leb-. he knows i'm giving him shit but he right. hates the and it's just the right back. Oh, you stupid, dirty Mexican. Oh, you're right. I am a dirty Mexican. But I, <laughs> that's the, the, the locker room talk, we could call it, that 
that honestly brings the bond closer. It, oh, it yeah. does. And I saw that with Phil. Well, remember when I first met him, he said, call him, call him terrorist. Or what'd you tell me to call? Said, call, hey, yeah, hey. call him a terrorist. Yeah, a terrorist. Or the, actually, the biggest word is chelib, which chelib. is a insult over in Iraq, right? Chelib. <laughs> He's a dog, a lazy dog, but that's a huge insult. And even from Phil, I'm like, Philip one time, he's Skyping with his brother back in Iraq. And he, I'm, you know, we're talking with him. I'm standing next to Philip. And at one point, Philip's like, oh, Paul, you chelib. And his brother <laughs> yelled at him, like, oh, you never just respect him like that. I'm like, that's awesome. Because I call it, my phone says Philip Morris chelib on it. That's one of the interesting things. And uh, and by the way, my mic still sounds all right, right? You're good. Yeah, you're excellent. Yeah. Okay. No, Um, what I was going to say is that especially, and we were joking about it before with the way this uh, program is set up with the uh, insert your pronoun here, like in uh, <laughs> this politically correct society, how you know, you can't say these words or that words. And I think people miss the point of intent. I mean, yeah. if someone said those words to you with the intent of hatred, and if it's the intent of breaking your balls and camaraderie, it's a totally different situation. You know, if someone used those same words with you in a different context, you'd be ready to fight them. So oh, yeah. I think people need to realize in this politically correct environment that yeah. context matters. It does. And Philip will call me when, or I'll call him uh, when he's driving his Uber and I don't know what he's doing, but I'll give him a call and I'm like, Hey, you dirty terrorist. How you doing? And, and he's like, um, so I'm on speakerphone and I have people in the back seat. And I'm like, Oh, hey, cool dude. But if he says like, Oh, Akbar boomed and jump out the window. Especially, I'm just thinking, I mean, I don't really know Minnesota that well, but I'm going to assume like it's kind of, I could be wrong here that it's probably rare to see like a darker skin guy. And then they get on a speakerphone and hear you saying dirty terrorists. Like that might make suspicions go totally through the roof at that point. A little bit. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, I got to tell you one last thing about Iraq. Um, when we had all the issues going on in Minnesota, you know, this, this past spring, last summer, the riots and everything else, Philip's family was calling here and they're like, oh my God, we're watching the news. Are you guys okay? And I'm like, all right, let's think about this for a second. We're getting calls from Iraq of people concerned about our safety in Minnesota. <laughs> How screwed up is that? So, I know. Uh, that is crazy. What, actually, I do want to. What did Philip say? What was he? Because being oh, he kept saying we're fine. You know, we were. Oh, we were I don't. Like uh, they were an hour north of the riot. You know, so we're not <laughs> near it at all. But um, you know what? That, that. I'm sorry. I was just going to say. You know what? That makes me wonder, though, when you were describing like, and we don't get too political here, but I just it it kind of crossed my mind. <clears> you were <throat> describing Philip and his political views, and the fact that you're in Minnesota. I mean, when people think of Minnesota yeah. and Muslims coming over. They do think of Elon Omar, who seems to be like the polar opposite of what Philip is. Like, what are his thoughts on that? You do have a Muslim woman in Congress there who is radically left wing. Uh, he says you need to get that person out of office as fast as you can because she's trying to destroy our country. Um, and Philip is, again, one of the most unique people in the world, even for his daughters. He doesn't think that they should wear a hijab here in the United States. Um, he, you know, He's still a Muslim faith. I like to say he's about as Muslim as I am Catholic. You know, I still eat meat on Fridays every once in a while, but I'll go to church at a time. And, you know, and, and I still consider myself a man of faith. But he is so adamant of this is America, the land of freedom. And you're trying to take freedoms away from everybody. Yeah. And when he first started working, like right off the bat, um, he learned how the scams were set up. He actually had a Somali social worker was telling him 
in Arabic, and I'm following the conversation in Arabic, but he's telling him in Arabic, just tell me have a bad back. They can't prove it. They'll give you money. They'll give you free housing. They'll give you free everything. And he's like, my back is just fine. I want to work. And he got a job within weeks of getting here, and he never took a dime of taxpayer money. Um, and he was shocked about how much we have to pay in taxes. And then he put two and two together and he said, these people are scamming the system. You got to kick them out of the country. I'm like, brother, you got to run for office someday. (laughs) (laughs) And he's actually been approached by that a few times. I don't think he will, but I mean, he gets it. He sees what we went through there and what we have to go through here in America. And people are trying to bring these horrible policies into play. And, uh, he likes to come up and says, look, I come from a third world country. Um, you know, we don't have air conditioning. We don't have great schools. We, you know, we barely can make it. And you guys are complaining about everything. Appreciate what you have. You have the land of opportunity. My children can become doctors. My children can become whatever they want to be here and not have to worry about being blown up. So, and, and I think that's cliche that we just make, I, I know people, I've said that to people with even some of the interpreters I've worked with that have come over and it's like, guys, that's not cliche. That's what they're saying. Cause they understand, they get it. They've been, and that's where I pull a lot of my stuff from, from them. I, I, I the hardships they went through growing up and the hardships they have just to live till they're 30. I mean, that, just to get to that age and then to fight our own bureaucracies just to get citizenship over here, which would piss me off. I mean, like I said, taking three years where he should have probably been over here in three weeks. Um, and yeah. then they still come here and they love this country more and more than more than a lot of Americans should. Uh, and it makes me feel good. It, it, it actually reinvigorates, doesn't demoralize me. It reinvigorates me in, in, in the faith I have in this country because of people like Philip and meeting Philip again. It was amazing just to talk to him and how happy he is. I, can't, I just can't get over how happy he is to be an Uber driver and have his family here. And, and it's like, Oh my gosh, I can't even, we can't even get people off their bus to go go to work. They'd rather take no, the handouts. But remember, Uber Lyft is one thing. He also works in senior care. So that's right. And he worked in senior care. He changes yeah. he changes shitty bedpans. He <laughs> loves like, it. I, I, I wipe passes for daytime job and I wipe passes for nighttime job. That's right. I forgot about that. Oh my god. America is the only country where we take our senior citizens and put them into a senior home. And you know, yeah. in this country, you bring them in you know, everywhere else in the world. You bring your fan, your parents home when they get old. And so working in senior care was, yeah, I saw the way he treated my parents, which are now his parents as well. And he came up to me one day and he said, so, you know, at the end of life, you know, they're going to die. And they have that DNR. Um, I can't do anything. So I stand over their bed when I know they're going to die. And I say a prayer, but I say Christian prayer too. And I'm like, yeah, brother, you're, you're just fine. <laughs> you're who you want. And people literally started asking for Philip to take care of their family at the end of their life. Because memory That's care it. and uh, end of life was his specialty and still is to this day. So he he works four jobs. He's trying to start a business, never taking a dime of taxpayer money. And we can't even get people to get back to work because they're not making enough. He's awesome. Yeah, he should run for office. He should. He'd be he'd be yeah. in Minnesota. He'd be excellent. He'd win. I, Bottom line, I guarantee you. I hope he would. I, I brought him to go vote when he first came to America. And he's like, I need my passport. And I'm like, for what? For checkpoints. And dude, there's no checkpoints. It's old. <laughs> That's it. And he was shocked by how you walk in and vote for whoever you want to. And he was trying to explain to people, like during Saddam, he had people with machine guns say, vote Saddam. And then someone had to verify, you vote for Saddam. And they got to put it in the Saddam box. And the one was, what happens if you don't? He's like, yeah, you're never seen again. It's so crazy, man, because I... 
I, you know, and and once again, I we're getting more political than we usually uh, do here, but this is bringing up stuff that I don't usually think of. But what you're saying is completely true because in in especially in the recent year, they're talking about voter suppression here, and it could not be easier to vote in America. I mean, <laughs> I really feel like if you can't take the time to either sign up to get an absentee ballot and vote from home or go to a polling station. I don't know what the issue is. And and then there's this whole issue where they say, well, people in certain communities can't get a driver's license, which is complete bullshit. I mean, you yeah. go to you go to like <laughs> poorer neighborhoods here in New York and there's a DMV there. Every black person, Mexican, Muslim that I know has a driver's license or yeah. some form of ID. And it is true. You compare it to what's going on in Iraq, which he could relay. It is extremely easy to vote here. And I and I do I don't think it should be any easier because at that point you know, if you don't have the motivation to do that, maybe you shouldn't be voting if, you know, no. and not everybody has to vote. I know you've talked about that before, Chris, but I mean, if you have that enthusiasm to go out and vote, it's really not that hard. Um, and there, there is an issue of making it even easier now to the point where we're running into problems with voter fraud. Yeah. And I do think that's a consequence of making it so that you have unsolicited ballots and all different types of things going out there. I mean, my whole life, I've uh, you know, I voted first time in the 04 election, and I've I've never had an issue. And I I lived in Philadelphia when I voted in 04, and I've lived in New York since, and it's never it's never been an issue until the media decided this was an yeah. issue. Yeah, it always yep. Yeah, but Philip put a video up on his, <clears throat> and, and he's he's got the funniest things. But on on election day, I'm an election judge with my wife. We do double shifts for it, and we were watching Philip's video. He's like, I just had a passenger. And she looks at me and says, okay, you're not from around here. Can you vote? He's like, yes, I can vote. And she's like, well, who did you vote for? I said, I voted for Donald Trump. And she's like, you're a person of color and you're this and you're that. And you voted, you know, just started ripping on him. So he's like, okay, my turn. Did you vote? <laughs> and she's like, no. Are you going to go vote? No. Okay, then why are you yelling at me? And just into her for, you know, you criticize me for who I choose to vote for. And yeah, you don't have to vote. But voter suppression, where I come from, they cut your finger off. <laughs> you understand That's why, amazing. Why don't you dip your finger in ink? That's how you do who voted. And, uh, you know, and, and and he's like, voter suppression is when they cut your finger off. So you can't dip your finger in ink. So, and by the way, I'm sure this woman <clears throat> who thought, you know, she was so progressive, yeah. it's as racist as it gets <laughs> to say that because you look this way, you have to vote this way. It actually reminds me of a funny story that I think, I think it was on TMZ that, and you could find it, um, Big Boy from Outcast had a story of, he was at an airport and he said, after Obama got elected, a white woman at the airport went up to him and said, congratulations on on y'all victory and big boy said he said to the woman he goes bitch i voted for gary johnson (laughs) (laughs) it's it's it is you gotta laugh at it man you really do you have to and you have to laugh at the at the hypocrisy and also the reverse discrimination and and it it reverse racism that's it's just it's it's rampant everywhere that's why philip was so it's so refreshing to talk to a guy like Philip, because those Philip and other combat troops, other people that have fought alongside troops and have come back from Iraq or Afghanistan, they really do get it. They really do get how great this country country is. And I love seeing guys like Philip and talking to Philip. He told me that story too. That's why I was laughing so hard because I remember <laughs> him talking. It's like, and I laugh because it is funny, but I also laugh because it makes me smile because it, it, it does. It makes me feel proud of 
how great this country is because guys like Philip, they know, they know what true repression is. They yeah. know how awful things can get. And then they know how great things are. And when you hear him, and then his damn little smile with his little, oh, with his little terrorist beard. I always say, Hey, Mooch. I just call this little <laughs> Mooch, this Mooch Hadid beard going on. That smile that comes out, it just makes me, it does. It makes me just feel good when it, it feel good and how good we really do have it here. It reminds me that, Hey, don't take this place for granted. I, I never will because of guys like Phil, I, I feel and, and he's Rambo for like I said, guy Rambo from Afghanistan was amazing, amazing combat. Yeah. Terp. And then, uh, but, unfortunately, now you know we have the turp issue happening in Afghanistan. We're literally leaving there. So we've, we've yeah. been talking to a bunch of politicians. A lot of people are calling us up like, how did you guys make it work? And there is a plan in place to actually have them sent to a third nation. Um, part of which was we're talking about even bringing them to Guam. Uh, that way they can finish their processing there because it's a months long process because, you know, nothing's fast in our government. Do you, do you think on that brother, I, and I saw some of them Afghanis, they would send them to the Netherlands. Um, but I, I, that was a long time ago. Do you, are you in that at all involved in that at all? Yeah, we've been working with a lot of the politicians on this stuff and, and hearing their plans. And we're just trying to tell them you can't send people overnight and just say, okay, rubber stamp here in America. We have to do the background checks on everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if you can't, you know, we're, you know, there's a, a base that we actually have in Jackson that we're actually thinking of having them stay there. We have, um, you know, the air base in Guam, which will take, you know, six to eight months, but at least we have the infrastructure there to house them in the meantime. And then if they don't pass, uh, what do we do? Well, we actually have an agreement set up where we can actually have them go to Turkey in the meantime, um, until they can get other stuff taken care of. So, I mean, there's, there's a plan. The problem is though, nobody wants to run it. You know, the uh, Department of Homeland Security is saying, hey, this is an immigration. And immigration is saying this is an army. And army's like, we're not doing anything. We're pulling out. So yeah. once we actually can get somebody to own it, I think we can actually get the ball rolling. But uh, we really can't leave anybody behind. And it's unfortunate because here's how I explain it to people. Um, Philip saved my life. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. I'm thinking of the soldier in the future that doesn't have a local national interpreter. Uh, because uh, these people see what we did to the Afghanis, the Iraqis, the Vietnamese. We've always done this. We always screw over the Turks. So why would I want to be an interpreter and help you out if I know you're only going to scream in the future? And then we die because of failure to communicate. Communication is key to everything. Or we needlessly have civilians get killed because we don't understand the local customs and, and what's happening. So to me, I see it as saving soldiers in the future. It's not as much as saving the Turks now. I mean, that is obviously a big part of it, but it's we need to have this lifeline in the future available to us and we're going to lose that if we keep doing this to interps uh, you're right you're right and, and you're spot on as far as having an extra sense of just knowing when something's going to go bad and they can sense it before we you know out at, at least an hour before we ever know oh, what's yeah. going to happen hey i saw that so many times just hey w- what's going on what's what you're feeling well and i'm just pointing it and pointing the little things out that i would never catch and us deciding either to to kank the mission or continue on, but just plus up on numbers or plus up on, on a force multiplier, you know, get, get it in there. So, or start a mission quickly to overcome any possibilities of them getting reinforcements. It's just, they're just, they're tremendous on just human Intel and just recognizing threats before we ever could just by, just by the walk or the, 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 just by the look um, yep. yeah, yeah, brother. I I'm with you, man. Um, you know, right now what you're doing, you know, go through all that, but talk a little bit now if you can, I know we're, we're keeping a little bit long, but, um, 
you know, what you're doing now and with Maxim Defense and, you know, Maxim Defense Academy. I just saw an ad come through that, is this the first courses you guys are going to have? I saw it on an email uh, uh, a couple of days ago. Public course that we're doing. So we've actually been doing a lot of government, military contracts, um, working in that capacity. We haven't had time to be putting on the full academy civilian classes that we've been wanting to. Um, we do have one actually coming up at the Red River Range down in Shreveport. Oh, Lincoln. yeah. You're going down there? Awesome. Yeah. Great, great, great range. With this facility. It's a great place. You know, Chris, you and I got to hang out there once for a weekend on a shooting course. Yeah. Um, it was a great time. So Brad's having us back there. We're going to do a one-day carbine course and a two-day armors course. Um, awesome. Work on modern sporting rifles. So not just Maxim Defense products, but also everything is a modern sporting rifle. Um, everyone thinks they know what they're doing off their YouTube badge that they got, and that makes me mm -hmm. cringe. So uh, making sure that we can help people understand the full power of this, uh, the, the product, how to properly take it apart, put it together, every pin, every spring, how to shoot it so we can diagnose those issues. And that's part of that shooting course, the, uh, the, the class that's going to be on Friday the day before. But yeah, so we have that coming up. Uh, we've already done some other classes with different parts of the country. Uh, Maxim's had me on the road quite a bit. Um, I came to Maxim Defense in January 2020 uh, to start up their training academy. Uh, for the seven years prior to that, I was actually with Six Hour Academy. Uh, I was a remote instructor teaching all over the country for them. Um, and it was just a lot of fun. And I, I hats off to those cats up there in New Hampshire. Uh, great guys. Um, absolutely loved working with them. Uh, still stay in touch with a lot of those guys. And it's a great program. And, and, and taking a lot of those philosophies that we got from other instructors, good top-notch instructors, and bringing that to our core beliefs here at Maxim Academy and to keep that ball rolling. So we're not working against them, but just another option, another venue for people to actually go to. Right. And that's well said. And actually, we, we myself and Paul are battle line Paul's, we're going to work and do some more classes together. I know Paul and I have the similar mindset of just go train with everybody, you know, and then yeah. find out what works, what works for you. Yes. Some things aren't as, aren't as tactically sound or some things aren't as technically sound with some instructors, but then they catch up or on a, on something else. I, and you're always going to learn something from someone. Um, hey, you do even what not to do. I mean, I saw this yeah. video the other day of a guy that was showing some <clears> technique <throat> and I was like, Holy crap, people are actually going to do this. Um, it's frightening, but you know, our philosophy is we're not here to talk or trash about anybody else. Uh, we want to actually show you what we are really good at. Um, and you can learn from us. You can learn from other great quality. Just, we just make sure you vet your instructors, uh, properly to just know that they actually have good sound principles, good firearm handling skills, and nobody's going to get hurt from taking yeah. these classes. So, yep. Perfect. What, what, uh, you know, from your perspective, what makes a good firearms instructor? Oh, lack of attitude. Um, <laughs> those that can poke fun of ourselves, I think is great. And and when we teach like an instructor development course, I'm like, guys, you have to shoot the targets to demonstrate in front of your student. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of instructors won't do that because they're afraid that they might not hit absolutely perfect. I'm like, but that's what you want them to know is that you are a human. And every once in a while, it may not go exactly where you want to. It's going to go a little to the left or a little bit to the right. And I'll walk up to my target. I'm like, hey, check this out. You know, it wasn't my worst. It wasn't my best. I got three or four shots exactly where we need to be. This one kind of floated over here. And, and what causes that? You know, and hey, I'm human. I'm going to make the same mistakes you are. Um, this was caused. My body started anticipating the recoil. So how do we overcome that and make it a teaching thing? And I start off every class, you know, with our safety briefs and med briefs. And then we start talking about, guys, I want you to make mistakes here. This is where the mistakes yeah. happen because now we can learn from our mistakes. 
We're not all yeah. human. And there's going to be three or four common mistakes so that when they do occur, we're going to call, we're not calling them out, but we're going to use that as a demonstration saying, uh, Ian, this is what you just did. And you're going to giggle about it. Hopefully um, you weren't the first, I mean, you weren't the only one. You were just the first that actually had this happen to you. And here's what we can do to prevent that from occurring in the future. And we use that as a demonstration. And you got to have a little thick skin with it. So uh, to me, just being able to have that, you know, uh, that I'm human, I'm going to make mistakes, but how can we learn from our mistakes um, and teach that with every class is a huge thing. And, and joke around with the students. Oh my God, we don't have to be so serious, you know, and, You'll never find us wearing five eleven pants. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's yeah. that to me is a good instructor, someone who can laugh, joke around, but really get their point across with good, solid information. Yeah, that's that's why we, Paul and myself work well together. That's the same mindset, and we've talked about it on battle line before too. That's what we do. That's how we are the same. So, hey guys, I, I always say demo demo your stuff. Be able to demo what you're wanting to people to do if you can't do what you're asking them to do then don't teach it all right so chris barb is still mad at you from my class in louisiana what happened who's mad at me brad is barb is barb for what what did i do we went on this class and i didn't know that i was going to be the dummy for a bunch of air stops (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) so i'm getting lit up by everybody and like four days later we're on vacation to mexico so i take off my shirt and i look like i've got i don't know Gonna herpacipolate or whatever it is. All yeah, welts all over it. Hey, you volunteered. I asked you twice. Are you sure? And you said yes. I'm not going to argue with you. I know you're a big boy. You know what you're doing. He did. He looked like he had. He looked like he had hickeys all over his body, basically on his. Yeah, sorry about that. COVID in Mexico, all the Mexicans stayed far away from us. So yeah, they're like, "What the hell? Did he have herpes simplex ten? What's yeah. going on with this stuff here?" Uh, yeah, it's we had. I remember we had we had a ton of fun and we learned a lot and we and did. we and, and you know and yeah and yeah you know, I did I did the drills and Paul's was the instructor and he was did a lot of the op four stuff. And that uh, that was what makes it fun, and, and he's he's spot on. You just the attitude. I mean, we all have attitudes. Every if you're shoot a gun or you've been in the military, you've got a little bit of an attitude. You do. It just comes with the territory. But but um, having the ability to be humble as well and find some humility in it. Uh, and I, I know I know Paul does. You know, he's, he's just as he says here, hey, I'm not perfect, but if we make a mistake, let's learn from that mistake. And I know Paul's the same way as, 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 as we are battle on with instruction. We're going to teach you stuff here, but you're not going to perfect it with me. You're going to perfect it on your own. But if you don't know how to, yeah, how to correct those mistakes, then you don't know what to do when you go on your own of how to correct it. And that's, that's what I, I love when people start learning that way, Paul's when, when they, you come up at the end of day two and they throw around and you go, do you know what happened? Or they already start to tell you, my finger was here or because they're already figuring it out what they did wrong. And you don't need to tell them anything. It's like, that's what you want. As an instructor, you want to put yourself out of a job. That is to be the best instructor. I don't want to have to teach you anymore because you're teaching yourself. To add to that, when you see the guy who makes the mistake and he can identify what it is and say, Hey, this is what I did. And it's great. Yeah. Except for every once in a while, you still get those guys who they make that mistake and they're so embarrassed about it. They want to hide. I'm like, guys, it's okay. You're human. This will happen. Let's make it better. Yeah, um, it's, it's all. I, I got sick and tired as a cop taking instructor courses from guys that have been around forever, you know. And we had one instructor in particular. This guy was like falling asleep in class from sleep apnea and low sugar. We were giving him M and M's to keep the dude awake in courses. It was pathetic. I mean, we were literally on the range one day, and he's like, "All right, guys, two to the chest, one to the head. Shooters ready." And we're all standing there, and he literally fell asleep at the <laughs> button. Like, oh my god. 
you can do better. But you'd ask him, hey, you know, why am I going down to the left? Because oh, you're limp wristing. Well, what the hell does that mean? And they can't explain that. that. <laughs> so, all right. So let me figure this out. And we did. And more importantly, is how can we communicate this to the students so they understand it, to overcome these little issues that we all have? Yeah, so, yeah. All of us do. And, and, have, and being that non-intimidating environment, at least I, I learned better. Uh, with that sort of environment, yes, I learned very well under duress, which you kind of had to when you're at the range of battalion or going through GRS. But that was a vetting that was supposed to be direct. That was supposed to be stressful. They're supposed because they want to see if you need to be. They want to see if they can make you quit. They, that's that's the job. Going to an open enrollment course. I'm not wanting to see if I can make you quit. I want to see if you can get better. It's not I'm, I don't want to cause intimidation and stress by the thousand yard stare that a lot of guys have. Oh, yeah. I, I just want you to learn. But if, yeah, if we're doing a tryout course and you're trying out for a, a, a top tier unit, I know how to be Sergeant Peranto. I can turn the screws on and, and yell and scream and smoke the living shit at you. But, Absolutely. That's, but that's not what the open course is for. for. And, no. and I, But I'm glad I was able to learn both ways and, and that I've been able to teach both ways. But I, brother, that's what Paul and I, when we teach, I, when we, that was our first time teaching together in Shreveport. It's like we taught together for 10, 15 years. It was like, yeah, I, it was, it was, it was awesome. It's like, dude, you got it? Yeah, I got it. All right. And I, we, we just, we just worked well together. And that course went well. I'm glad you're going back out there because uh, yeah, Red River, Red River range out there in Shreveport's Brad who runs it out there is, it's a tremendous range. So if you're in Shreveport, we'll be back out there in October. Battle line will. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, dude, check out that range. Too. We, uh, I was just at Darcy taking a class there as a student. Good. Um, That's good. Yeah. You know, you know, Rich Mason is absolutely an amazing instructor. I can't say good enough things about it. And we can't really even talk about it. Darcy is what Darcy is. And for those of you that don't know, Direct Action Resource Center is one of the top training facilities in the country. And I'm there as a student getting my ass kicked by um, the cadre, the uh, op four that they have who are just murderers. These guys, I mean, they make you feel pain and humility. So if this was like the type of class that I've never had like gun before, I would never look at a gun again. But, you know, being law enforcement, military, trying to refine our skills, taking the courses that Darcy had to offer was just absolutely outstanding and amazing. And um, I can't say enough good things about Rich and that crew there. So, yeah, but they're, yeah. they're good. They've been there forever, man. I, I knew Trey Straub and actually Ben Morgan, our buddy Ben, who works at Battleline. He was an instructor out at Darcy. Uh, and, you know, Darcy, we used to do some of our GRS stuff out there. I don't think so. They do it anymore. And if they do, sorry, GRS, I gave up one of your training sites. My bad. Um, we've got plenty more around the country. Don't worry about it. But, uh, you know, ben, that's where, you know ben, ben honed his instruction, a lot of his stuff, uh, Morgan, um, out at Darcy. And like I said, they, they've been around for a long time and they do they do very good things out there. And they had guys like Trey Straub, who was out there, a former group guy that uh, – uh, and GRS guy uh, that was an amazing and a mentor of mine that I looked up to. So, uh, uh, yeah, brother, that, that's, that's well said, though. Well, very well said. Yeah. So uh, we, you know, you take little things from all these guys and, and what can I do to become a better instructor? And, and you know, I even learn stuff from uh, uh, Mason to, you know, put into our programs because, you know, without taking his stuff. But I like the way he joked around about certain things. And that's just what we kind of want to add to what we're doing as well. So. But yeah, you'll see a lot more stuff coming out from Maximum Defense Academy. Um, you know, Maximum Defense, we you know made the braces and the stocks and made the guns short from the back end, and now we're making full line. Um, our uh, business has been expanding like crazy, and right now I'm, uh, I've been working with the construction guys as we're 
building ore onto our factory here in Minnesota. So, Chris, you won't even recognize it when you come back in next time. There's so much right. that we've been working on. Well, I'm not coming back in, in uh, December again or January. You should come in December now. and have the Iraqi snowman pick you up. <laughs> no, it's the, actually, yeah, I will if if uh, if I get that Uber driver. My Uber driver, I want a dirty Iraqi terrorist as my Uber driver. You make sure Phil's that guy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, brother, it's good talking. This to you, has man. been this has been an awesome one. I, I really think this has been one of my favorite interviews. I, I really enjoyed talking <laughs> with you, and and actually, it's made me want to get Phil up on hopefully at some point. Yeah, actually, yeah, dude. Talk yeah, someday. Talk to him, man, or have him shoot me a text. He still got my number. He better. I gave it to yeah. him. Yeah. Well, as long as he doesn't hit the wrong button and his phone blows up, um, he can definitely do that and get a hold of you. <laughs> oh, that's all. That's awesome. No, we'll get him on, Ian. Yeah, that's a yeah, great. Yeah, he'd, he'd be awesome. We should do it. Um, but yeah, that's that's really it. I mean, is there anything you want to promote where people could find you and and where people could check out Maxim Defense and what you're doing over there, Paul? Uh, you know, we're just starting to get more on our social media with the Academy of it. Otherwise, MaximDefense.com is the website. You'll see more stuff coming up with the Academy, training classes coming up across the country. Um, and the yeah. toolbox. And, more, and another, we're going to do more toolbox. Yeah, toolbox and get that out there. Absolutely. Yeah, Maxim does all, all my all my gun builds. And I know we'll be doing a Can people still tactic. buy can people still buy the toolbox? Uh, the last one, it's sold out. I got to come up with the next gen or gen four now. So when I have the new one made or when I should say when I, when Maxim and Paul over there <laughs> gets the new one made, yeah, new we, one. we will. And and we're doing a full line with them with, since they're doing full guns now, which guys full line means that we're doing more than just the, the personal defense weapons or the short barrel rifles doing 14, 14 and a half inch, 16 inch barrels. Um, yeah, we'll do a line called Tano tactical that I'll partner with, uh, Maxim Defense. I've been with Maxim and Michael Winfield over there since the beginning. Which how long ago was that, Paul? I know you you came on later, but six years, seven years. Uh, six years. It's our sixth going seventh year of the business. Uh, we've been growing by leaps and bounds recently. Yeah. You know, we're not what you see on our website is only a fraction of what we do. We you know we do special things for the government all the time. We have suppressors, ammunition, um, the different types of firearms we're making. There's a lot of stuff I can't go into detail uh, and talk about, but I mean it. Even my jaw drops every once in a while. I'm like, holy crap, we're making that? Holy jeez, we have yeah, this. It's, it's cool. just fun because every day you come to something different that you're going to be working on. Um, and it's, for me, it's not just the training, but how can we actually now work on this new platform of a belt-fed thing for the government and, and get people spun up on it? And the armoring, which is my specialty, and I love doing armoring stuff. So getting no things written up for the programs for the new weapon platforms that we're developing. So whenever – Go ahead, go ahead, Ian. I'm uh, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, is there any social media where people could find you? Um, yeah. yeah, I look like bad, evil Santa on my Facebook profile thing. I haven't figured out. Oh, I got rid of Twitter. I didn't feel like being a twit idiot or whatever. Um, <laughs> Maxim, I think a Maxim Gun Monkey is my uh, Instagram thing, but I think I've been on there like three times, four times. That's right. I, I tag you stuff every once in a while. It's, is it Max? It's Maxim Defense Gun Monkey. Yeah, it's gun but, but if but if you search Paul Braun, it will it'll pop up. It pops yeah, up. you'll pop up for me in that, and you'll see a bunch of stuff that Philip and I are doing, uh, making crazy <laughs> videos. Um, some poor lady called me up trying to sell us a timeshare when I was in the car with Philip when he picked me up from the airport. So I gave him the phone, put it on speaker, and I started recording it with his phone. And he kept saying, "Oh, so I can go timeshare with my camels. I have camels. Lots of camels. <laughs> this lady never stops selling them, and we did like five six minutes. It was great." Um, yeah, so you'll see a lot of crazy things that we put up all the time for joking around with the terrorists. That's awesome. Awesome. Cool. 
I wasn't sure if you had something else, Chris. I kind of stepped up. No, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm listening to Paul. I just listening to the camels and the terrorists and the, and the gun monkey. I'm, it's all going together. It's all full circle. Gun <laughs> monkey terrorists with camels that are going to blow up a timeshare. So, you uh, know, I told you before, I listened to your podcast, blowing <clears throat> my lawn. And that's what it, <laughs> like, nice. four times now I'm mowing the lawn and all of a sudden listening to you and it gets interrupted and I look at my phone. I'm like, well, it's Chris. So we start chatting. I'm like, oh, that's so bizarre. I'm going from listening to you to actually going back and forth to you. And then I find myself getting off the phone and you say something and I'm trying to reply to you. I'm like, oh my God, I'm listening to the podcast again. <laughs> Sorry, dude. I'm in your head all the time. I'm Maybe always in your head. It's like a lawn. I'm a bad dream. I am your nightmare forever. And you, and you, and you, and you still got to make guns for me down the line. I shouldn't I say for me. You, nightmare. You're like my bad heartburn at night. <laughs> I know. Oh, dude. No, it's good talking to you. Dude. I, I got Ian. I got nothing, man. I, 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 I covered everything and I'll be talking to Paul again, like every once in a while during hey, the month. So I talked to him. I want to throw something really quick. Um, sure. We actually have don't maximum defense. We donated another rifle to uh, the Ben Cop Memorial Run. Uh, oh, that's ben right. Cop was an Army Ranger uh, was killed. Unfortunately, he died actually the day after my guys died, and he was a Minnesota kid. Uh, his mom, Jill Stephenson, is one of my dearest friends ever. And you know, Chris, we've been able to have get her on the phone with you, yeah. and, and it just makes her feel so warm and fuzzy. So we donated an amazing gun. Um, we're she is raffling the tickets off. So <clears throat> if it's uh, you know, I can get you a link to send off to it, but it's a, it's an amazing gun that we're putting out there. Lots of laser engraving. Uh, the story of Ben, Ben was shot uh, in Afghanistan and was able to make it to Germany, to the United States. And during his first surgery at Walter Reed, unfortunately, a blood clot came along and killed him. But he had actually signed the line at 21 years old to be a uh, organ donor. And so many people were able to live from his sacrifice to our nation and the lady that ended up with his heart, you know, she's like, Hey, where to get my heart from? Like, well, you have the heart of a 21 year old Ranger. So they actually wrote a book about it called the heart of a Ranger. Oh, wow. Uh, it's a really amazing book. It talks about Ben and Jill. You know, she was uh, a single mom. He was, she was, he was, you're, his own you're talking son. about the book written by Bill Lunn, right? Cause I have it up on yeah. here. Um, I got to interview Bill a few years ago with Jack Murphy. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he's actually yeah. in Shreveport, so I'm probably seeing him when I go down there. And he actually wanted to write a book about Philip and I, so we're uh, still nice. discussing. That. That's awesome. I didn't, yeah, I didn't know that was Ben's. Yeah, that, yeah, he's Ben's, he's a very yeah. experienced uh, journalist. who's <laughs> done a lot, Bill. On so yeah, check out Heart of a Ranger and and for the audience because I know a lot of you guys are you know for lack of a better word nerds for the special operations community. Uh, some of you might not know, you know, a lot of you all know Nick the Reaper, Irving, Army Ranger, and uh, Ben Cop is the guy that Nick credits to saving his life. I think that yep. Nick still wears a wristband with Ben's name on it. He, yeah, he does. Uh, yeah. Um, so all the benefits, and we're raising $15,000 with the with the raffle tickets for this gun. It all actually goes back to uh, the Combat Vets Motorcycle Association, who in turns helps out wounded veterans here in Minnesota and other states surrounding this area. So it's a great benefit, great thing. I'll send you off a link to it so you guys can uh, get a ticket and uh, go for this gun and raise more funds to help out more veterans, which is what it's all about. Cool. Cool beans, man. It's good talking to you, brother. And I know hey, we kept, we kept you long, man. Sorry about that. That's all right. I just got to go do some more work here, you know, I, I and he's, are you, are you at the farm right now? No, actually, I'm at work. Uh, I've been telling people that come up to my office, like, go away. I'm busy right now. <laughs> 
excellent having Paul on. Um, as you know, you weren't, you know, I'm not as, I wasn't as familiar with Paul as you are. So I didn't really know what to expect. And it, it probably was, I think, one of our best shows because I think that was such a heartwarming story. And we got into a lot of different great territory. And, and yeah, it's what we're all about is positivity. And if that's not a positive story, I don't know what is. Um, but r- wrapping things up here, I should let the audience know you're prepping for your next class in Tennessee as we record this. Yeah. By the time people hear this, it will have already happened. <clears throat> but you have a ton of stuff happening in August. So I wrote it down for anybody who wants to take a class. Uh, Tontosgearlocker.com, August 7th and 8th in Fowler, Indiana, August 21st in South Carolina, and then August 28th in Rollins, Wyoming. They're all different classes, which you can see at yeah. Tontosgearlocker.com. Yeah, but I mean, that's a, that's a huge portion of the country. So if you're anywhere near there, take the drive and, and go do it. Do the damn thing. Yeah, and we we have loads of fun. The, the the Indiana course in August at Bridgecore Dynamics with Scott Wheel at Scott Wheeler's place. Um, that one will be pretty arduous. It's going to be hot, a uh, lot of running, kind of like the one we're doing this weekend in Tennessee. Uh, stress fire course is what we do. A lot of a lot of uh, a lot of carbine, um, some uh, some pistol work. But it's just if you're going to come to that, hydrate, guys. Hydrate, 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 and. Um, then the, the one at GTI and the one at Rollins, those are very, very one's a, a basic defensive concealed carry course, which is teach you how to sh- fight and shoot a pistol from the defensive concealed position or concealed position, I should say. It's a one day. Uh, it'll be fun out there at, uh, at the at the Government Training Institute in South Carolina, tremendous training area to go to. And I recommend you guys train with them, not even just at a battle line course, just take some of their courses out there if you, if you live out in the area there in South Carolina. And then Wyoming is a, is it just a, just a basic carbine pistol? It's just going to be a fun one day or just getting out there and just doing some basic drills and just having a good time out in Rollins, Wyoming. And we just don't get out to Wyoming a lot in that area. So it was cool just to, Hey, let's do one this year out there since that's not an area we hit much. And um, yeah, and that one's very non-intimidating. Bring your pistol, bring your rifle. We'll do about eight hours uh, total, four hours on each, uh, three and a half of each. Cause we take lunch and uh yeah, it's, it's just be fun course. You walk away from it, I think, with a little bit uh, more skill. But honestly, you'll walk away from it just having a smile, saying that was a good time. And, and But you're going to learn. Yeah, you're going to learn a little bit here or there. I mean, that's part, <laughs> that's part of going to a course. So thanks, Ian, for pushing it out there. And Of course, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's what yeah. we do. Yeah, no, come out there, guys, if you, if you can make it. Um, but th- this has been great. If you, if you like what we do, support our sponsors, as always. Um yeah, we're, August is going to be pretty busy for you, I can tell. And it's going to be busy for me because I'm going to be moving to Florida uh, pretty much a little bit over a month from now. I'm excited for it. Um, you know, it's going to be a change of pace. I'll be there for at least the next nine months. And uh, after that, I might be back here if maybe if prices of apartments go down at all because it's getting <laughs> insane here. But I do love Florida. And I know there's some listeners of the show. I'll probably end up meeting up with at Florida because when I tweet stuff out, they're like, oh, are you still in the area? So I'm sure I'll end up meeting some listeners. And I always appreciate meeting the listeners and, you know, grabbing lunch with someone if, if possible. It's not something I can always do. But now and again, it's cool to, to meet you guys who support what we do. Um and then what was what else was I going to say? Oh, and we're just about at the point now where we could start monetizing YouTube, which is cool because we'll we'll start doing video probably. I'm thinking I don't know September October ish. Um, I definitely want to buy like a new camera so that we can make this look good. The only thing holding me back, uh, and I was telling Chris, it's kind of funny, is that we get flagged on every single video because the outro is never given up by Mark Slaughter, so we get flagged for copyrighted material. But the funny thing is, Mark has 
said, yes, use it. So, you know, we're using something you gave me permission <laughs> for. But I've heard from Dylan, who I do my stuff with uh, at Narrative.fm. Shout out to them. Uh, yeah, Dylan was saying sometimes you need to get like a written letter. So if Mark could give me a written letter, I think we could keep that outro, which I want to because it's a great outro. Um, but if we can't, maybe we'll get Jimmy Allen to give us yeah. an, an original song or something, um, you know, just so we don't get flagged for every single thing we put up on YouTube. And yeah, I'm actually surprised we got enough subscribers on YouTube. We're at over a thousand because I never really promote the YouTube because the sound quality kind of sucks because it's buffered from what's, you know, up on Apple or Spotify, which sounds way better. And I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing with video. I never like to act <laughs> like uh, I, I don't like to act like I'm an expert on any of this stuff. I'm not. I mean, I, I know radio. I know audio. That's about it. So once we start doing video, I'll get people involved who know far more than myself. But yeah, I mean, we do have a YouTube channel and, and luckily it's got subscribers because of you guys checking it out. But uh, it, it'll grow once we start putting video up on there. And, you know, I look forward to that. I look forward to everything just expanding. But every week the show is really growing. I mean, we've been back in the top 10, top 15 sometimes on Apple Podcasts and doing really well. And uh, it, it's thanks to you guys. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. I didn't even know we had a YouTube channel. See, that just shows how much I was on like, YouTube. <laughs> when you said monetize YouTube, I'm like, what are you talking about? We're, we don't even have YouTube. And, but yeah, that, I just put that, up a picture with the audio and the audio doesn't sound as good, you know, so but but people discover things on YouTube. And I actually Adam Haddad, who I used to work with, was like, put it on YouTube because people discover it that way. And it's true. I discover things on YouTube. So it makes sense. Uh, hey, whatever works, as long as you guys, whatever you want, we'll we'll make it happen. Just may take us a little bit longer because and this is a this is a strength Ian has is that we don't want to put something up that's half ass. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's, yeah, nothing in a hurry. It's gotta be, it's gotta be good. And I know it can improve, especially if it's something that we're, we're brand new at because we may not know what to do to make it better until we make a mistake. Like, Oh, okay. Let's figure that out. Okay. Now can it be even better? But at least initially when we first put it out, it's the best that we know what to put out on the first show. But it will always improve, and that's like yeah, that's your strength. Right? I mean, you always do that. Like, how can we make? And it also, better? that's that's the cool thing about having the contacts that we have. Guys like Truth Seeker who know how to do this stuff, or yeah. guys that you know who know. To, you know, like, I can lean on them, or we could even, if we are have the money to, you know, give them some money to help us out, which well, like, would be great. I like my I buddy at Ghost Ghost Tactical. That's tremendous. That's awesome. And, you know, and Jack and Dave do an excellent job on yeah. on theirs as well. Uh, the team, although so, although I'm gonna I'm gonna brag a little. Our audio way better. Our audio is better. <laughs> so, sorry, guys, it is. But that's that's. And I, I don't think Jack would 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 Jack or Dave would dispute that based off your experience with audio. It's like it should be better. We should Theirs better could audio. be better, but it's. I I, I don't want to get into it. But it, the funny <laughs> thing is, it, it, and it is what you're saying. I am a bit of a perfectionist with this stuff, and I it, like when I learned about Squadcast through Dylan, I was like, wow, this audio is awesome. It almost sounds like we're in the same room. It's so much better than using Skype or any of that. So I love the fact that our podcast, to me, sounds as good as anything out there. If I put up video, it would be half ass. It would just be me in a room and Chris in a room, which is what we're doing. And the, you know, a webcam quality video, our video quality is not great. Like you'd see when Chris was on the team house, it's, you know, I want it to be a, a good camera that we're using and people will be like, wow, this looks great. So I want it to be as up to par as the audio that we do. 
And we got to make sure we get, I mean, I'm getting older. I'm 50. We got to use a rose colored lens on that damn camera to get all the, <laughs> an oil of LA lens to get all the wrinkles out. Nah, no, shit. I'm grow old gracefully. That's just how it is. Uh, but we, we will, we will eventually. And, you know, just because you guys that were even been going this long, I, I didn't plan on doing it this long. I didn't know if we'd do well or not. Yeah, I was no. hoping, but, yeah, yeah, but that's, yeah, that's yeah. them. That's you guys out there listening that want to listen to us run our sucks. I don't know why, but you do. That's fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you you really just never know when you start these things. I've done podcasts that lasted a few months and I was like, yeah, hey, this has run its course, you know, and then other things like this, they they last longer. Um, I guess the last thing I'll say is uh to completely unrelated for our Florida friends, shout out to Tampa Bay winning the Stanley Cup in five games. And Tampa as a city is absolutely killing it. I mean, two Stanley Cups in a row, and they won the Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, yeah. You guys are are doing awesome. And it's honestly, it's in Florida. So actually, Tampa is a beautiful, beautiful it city. Is. Hold on, hold on. Oh, <laughs> oh, <what was> it? <laughs> okay, got there you. you go. And and I'm allergic to Tampa, obviously. <clears throat> so no, that's that's the. If you ever have a chance to visit, that's one place you should visit. If you're a runner, go run Tampa. I've ran downtown Tampa because uh, I've been to uh, uh, what's it called, Sodic, the Special Operations. Uh, it's it's a big convention for the Special Operations community, and just running in downtown Tampa, it's actually really cool. It's just down. There's a lot of places to go and just run around the area, and then there's the the you know right there's a the canal that comes through the the city itself which is uh, where a lot of the damn million dollar boats are i don't know it's just a neat place to if you're a runner it's it's one place you should go go run at least once go downtown tampa go for a run and especially at night when it lights up it, it's it's beautiful it is um but um yeah shout out to tampa and I, that's about it though i'm not a big buccaneers fan or a tom brady fan but whoever thought yeah <laughs> now now the patriots know was it Belichick or was it Brady that brought the Super Bowl? I don't know. I think it might have been Brady, man. You don't go to yeah. Tampa Bay and win a Super Bowl with Tampa Bay at that on your first season. That and and your, was that his first season there too, right? It I just doesn't happen. So I'm not as much of a football guy. You know, I know I'm, who won, obviously, but um, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Is he? He, I mean, he is one of the oldest guys. Yeah, okay. He is 43, though, dude. It's not much younger than you. <laughs> No, he's, he's, uh, he's, no, he's up. Amazing. He, I just, to me, if you follow football, which I have up until just a few years ago, and again, when it got started to get more political and just not about the game, I stopped following it. But I, you know, I grew up on football. I, I grew up in, as a kid around college football and I played college football. And, and, I, you know, it was one of those times where you go Monday night football with Howard Coach Sell and, you know, I was with my dad. I, and especially when that's all the TVs, you, you probably don't remember that, Ian, but the TVs, you know, you just had the, the, the rotary TVs, you just twist the knob. Yes, I, I do. Early 90s, I remember. That was still, not <laughs> but, all TVs were like that, but there were still some. There, man, I mean, that's, we didn't have cable. That's what we watched. And it brought back no, a didn't lot have of cable growing up. So, yeah. So, so um, you know, back in the day, Tampa Bay, aside from the Doug Williams years, when Doug Williams was there, uh, even though he was a rocket arm, but he was throwing a lot of interceptions too, Tampa Bay always sucked. They were terrible. So to come to Tampa Bay, even though they weren't terrible, they still weren't Super Bowl contenders. To win a Super Bowl in your first year, you know, again, I'm not a big fan of Tom Brady, but damn, have a lot of respect for his ability and his talent because that just doesn't happen at that level. And that's to me that that shocked me. I'm like, oh my gosh, they won already. He just was there for one year, and they it says a lot for how good 
he is, and he should have a legacy around him. Now, now you can't just say it was Belichick and the Patriots, and he was just surrounded by great people. Nah, he went to Tampa Bay. Yes, he's surrounded by great people, but he was didn't have a Belichick over there, and he he brought him. He he threw him on his back, and he brought him with him. Sorry, all you Buccaneer guys that get mad at me for saying that, but you weren't winning until he got there, and then you won it all. I don't know. I think, they're, ha- I think they're happy he's there. Yeah. So. But he should retire um, and walk off in the sunset. He's done enough. He's one of those guys. He's done enough, dude. Go walk if off. If he could win another, though, you know. But um, <laughs> speaking of uh, how you were saying the Sodic thing in big conventions, I'm I'm wondering, are we going to be? Are we going to have a presence at Shot Show this coming year? I I haven't yeah. gone in a few years. No, no. I, I'm going to come out there then. You know why I'll come out there too? Is Dylan, <laughs> who does some advertising with us, he now lives in Vegas, so he was like, "Yeah, come stay with me." And plus. Some of our sponsors, people like Jackery, like there is a presence of those type of advertisers there. And I want to get the word out about the podcast. So I'll, I'll probably fly out to Vegas for it. I'll be there. Maxim Defense always brings me in. So I'm always at a Maxim Defense, Paul's company. Uh, I'm always at I, And I, I like Vegas, man. I, I like being there for a few days, but it, it's I've been there. It's one of those things too where it's like, man, I've been there a lot. So it's fun for a few days, but I'm not a fan to spend spend a week or two weeks there which and the shot show for me it's not really that fun <laughs> it's just because it, i'm just getting pulled and I'm, yeah and again i i love it thank you for people that want to stop and take pictures i mean it, it's amazing that they want to do it but it's it's tough when it just it just especially when you you're still i'm still not used to it it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's deserved um or i deserve it and uh it turns into where it's less fun and more work. And, uh, but that's, that's what maximum, maximum defense brings me out there for. It is supposed to be work, but you don't want to come to Vegas to work. You want to come to Vegas no, to have see, fun. I get to kind of split my time that half the time I'm out there promoting whatever I'm promoting. And it would be the podcast. I would get out there and promote battle line. Um, but then the other half of the time is the stuff I really love. So I'll, t- I'll tell you my two highlights in recent years. And it's not typical Vegas, like strip club stuff. This is, yeah. Ian Scotto nerd stuff. I went to uh, Kiss Mini Golf. Kiss Mini Golf is so cool. They have a guy there who DJ. He's your personal DJ while you're playing mini golf, and he'll play whatever Kiss song you want. And it was so much fun. And I remember the only thing that, that I thought was not cool was at the very end of the golf. I said to the guy, I was like, man, this is the coolest job. You must be having like a ton of fun. And he goes, eh, I don't even really like Kiss. I, and to me, it's like. Don't tell me that. You got to yeah. keep up the mystique. Like yeah. if Gene yeah. Simmons was there, he would smack you for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> but but it was that was fun. And then the other fun thing was there's a band that plays at uh, a place called Vamps, which you, which is a, it's a little further off the strip. It used to be called Doctor Feelgoods, and it was owned by Vince Neil, but now it's owned by these other guys. And every week they have a cover band, and they do like all '80s stuff. You know, that's my thing. And whoever's in town, like, let's say it's Stephen Piercy from Rat or like Don Dockin, whoever, if they're in town doing gigs, they'll get up on stage with them and they'll do a few songs. So like I saw a guy from that band Chaos AD, like they were really, uh, I guess you would say like B-list of, of that genre. But I, yeah, oh no, Babylon AD. But yeah, I had a great time at that. So, and, and here was the weirdest thing. Every now and again in Vegas at Shock Show, people recognize me from my voice I went to that show completely alone, so I wasn't talking to anybody. I was just watching a show, and someone tapped me on the shoulder. They're like, 
hey, are you Ian Scotto? <laughs> and it, it, Vegas during SHOT Show is the only time I ever get recognized. So for me, it's kind of cool. You get recognized all the time. I am not important by any means. So it's kind of cool um, for that one week being a minor celebrity. Yeah, dude, I, and I'm not important at all. I just happen to have that ugly face that people recognize <laughs> with the goat with the goatee. I, I do bring, you know, I do bring Tanya though. I do bring my wife. And I, what I love Vegas is not the food on the strip, getting off on the old strip, or going to find. I, I love the food there. You can find some tremendous, tremendous restaurants and some of the old school ambiance uh, that's there. Um, if you ever get a chance, go to the steakhouse at the D, the D Hotel has probably one of the best steakhouses in town and it's still got the old school ambiance feel. It's very small. All the waiters are, are still all in a tux, you know, with the bow ties and it's, and the food's awesome. Um, but you have to reserve way out in advance because it's extremely small. And that's honestly, that's a place where a lot of the UFC guys go. So every once in a while you go there, if, if that's what you're into, you might catch a glimpse of one, a UFC fighter that lives in town or if there's a fight going on, um, What's what's their lead head guy's name? Dana, uh, Dana White. Dana White. He might be, there. but I, I just like going there. The guy that run the the gentleman that runs it in the hotel itself. Uh, it is a, going back up. You know, you go on the old strip and you go to the, the restaurant and eat some good food. So I that's one thing I don't. Same with New York City. Same thing. New York City, Vegas. The food, man. I mean, I may not like to be in the towns forever. I don't know if New York City still like this Manhattan, the downtown area. But I, I would always enjoy being there for a couple of days just to eat the food because it still has the best food in the country. You can go. It's good. I mean, it's just it's, it's good, good food. And it, you don't have to go to spend a ton of money. Granted, the D is expensive, but you, know, sure. you can go to New York pizza shop and still get some of the oh, yeah. best pizza in the world just by walking. I love doing that. So, yeah, Vegas, Vegas has its downside. But now that I got my shit together, too, got my life together, <laughs> um, Vegas has been more fun because I, I bring my wife. And we have a ball, you know, we, we, it's cool. Yeah. We, we date, you know, it's date night and Maxim takes very good care of me. Uh, they put me up in a nice room. So it doesn't feel like, at least when I go back to my room, I don't feel like I'm at a motel room. I, you know, and that's what they don't, they want you, want me to feel like, Hey, go back to where you feel like you're kind of at home. You can decompress and the gym at the hotel I stay at. I wish I could remember the name of the hotel. It's that's the gym that I saw you at. Is, yeah, what's what hotel is that, brother? I don't, we, I don't even remember. I don't remember. Yeah, but that's a nice gym. So it's, I kind of feel like I'm. It is a cool gym. They have a rock climbing wall. Um, yeah, I actually weird. wasn't even staying at that hotel. That that woman, uh, Alex, is the one who let me in there. I was <laughs> like, cool. Um, but oh, I was going to tell you one last thing. I know we're going long here, but if you're going to tell a shout out a steakhouse, I will too because I have a funny story nine steakhouse in vegas there's a guy who i think runs it i don't know what his position is but his name is marco chacon and when i stayed there with a bunch of the guys that i know jim west with us was with us jim west runs into this guy who runs the steakhouse nine steakhouse and it turns out jim trained this guy in boxing years ago this guy was trying to be a professional boxer so after we had steak Jim is demonstrating all these moves on Marco and Marco's doing all these moves on Jim in the middle of a casino. And several times the security was like, guys, break it up. Like they thought a real fight was going on. And they're like, no, 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 we're, we're just, we're just screwing around here. That's, but that's, that's typical that's, Jim. Jim loves yeah. to like, Jim will just like whip out a knife and start like showing moves. Like that's his thing, man. Jim loves to fight uh, genuinely. And I, I've never seen anyone like with a bigger smile on their face than Jim 
tell you the story of like knocking someone unconscious, like some like brutal story. And he's got a huge smile telling you like he, he, nothing makes him happier. <laughs> hey man, how old is he now? I still wouldn't fuck with him. I would not. Mess I with wouldn't him either. Anymore. Yeah. Certain no, Jim no. is, uh, I, what is he's probably like he's 70 sit- something. Yeah. And he'd still, he'd still kick the shit out of pretty much everybody. No, Jim, you're, you're good, dude. Kudos to you. Fist bump. I'll never mess with you, dude. You're dude. Bad. When I when I roomed with Jim at Shot Show, Jim feels the need to, and this might be a post traumatic stress thing. He has to have the TV on at full blast, and I'm in the room. I'm waking up every two seconds because he's Fox News on at full blast. And there was there was a closet in the room, but it was a big closet, and I stayed there and I just let Jim use the bedroom because I'm like. I'm not going to tell Jim where to sleep. Like <laughs> Jim, do whatever. Like I'll sleep in the in the closet. I was able to put a mattress in there because I'm, de- I'm definitely not going to be on Jim West's bad side. Oh man, see you. You're oh man. Do you handle Vegas a lot better than me? Me, it's like I need to be pampered in Vegas just because I don't want to be there. So if I have to sleep in a closet, yeah, I'm not going to Vegas. <laughs> it's not <laughs> so awesome job, dude. Sleeping in the closet there in Vegas. Um, yeah, I, the shot show will go. NRA might go this year uh, in November, I think. Um, I'm not even sure where it's going to be at. NRA convention, guys, if you get a chance to go to that one, that one's like more family oriented. I enjoy it. I've heard you say that. Oh, yeah, it, it, it is. I, granted, it, you do have something, you know, you get the, the NRA and their lobbyists or whatever the hell, and, you know, it, it can get with the more political speeches that you don't have to go to, but, you know, it's NRA. So, um, but, being there, there's kids everywhere, and it's good. It's a positive. It, it is gun safety is everywhere. You know, you get classes on that. Those are awesome where they actually do the gun safety classes for the kids. But it, it is. It's fun. It's more family-oriented environment. I, I love that. So I hope NRA convention goes. And, again, if it does, I always go with maximum defense. Maximum defense takes care of me. So. Hopefully well, I know you got to go. I could faint. Yeah, can you, can you hear him in the background? He's like, he's like, oh, I'm dead. Shut up. I can be, because he has to be quiet for two hours. And he's like, I'm done. Two hours is done. Dad, get off the computer. Get yeah, he's like, phone. I don't know what's going on. I was going to say, like, tell Tanya to stop beating your kids. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he knows the time. He looks, he knows when he can stop being quiet. And he's jumping <laughs> off the walls. In there yeah, he's like, guys, so wrap like- it up. All right, so we're going to wrap it up. <laughs> have a great week. A uh, week. It's going to be a week for you guys. Yep. So have a great week, everyone. And uh, thanks again, Paul. All right. And thanks, guys. God bless you all. Uh, we'll talk to you all in a week. That's all for this episode of the Battle Line Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battle Line Podcast and on Twitter at Battle Line Pod. To sign up for future Battle Line tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself. Face all challenges head on. And as always, never quit.